Radio by Jack Roberts. If you've tuned in, it means you are driven to deepen your knowledge of business, entrepreneurship, health, fitness, and so much more. It is my mission to make a positive impact in the lives of those listening by providing insights into the world of high-performance people. Our guest today is John Angelopoulos. John is the founder and managing director of Nissan Agency. Nissan was founded a little over 12 months ago as a side project. John quickly realized the potential of Nissan and has subsequently expanded the business to become a premier option for appointment setting and outbound calling in Australia. In the past six months, John and his team at Nissan has generated in excess of a million dollars of prospective sales revenue across eight different industries. He's amassed a total of 75,000 conversations on behalf of his clients and well in excess of 200,000 dials. John, welcome to radio. Thanks for having me, Jack. I guess to take it back a little bit, when I heard in what it would have been early 2019 that you were going out on uh, on your own to do Mison, I guess there was a lot of uh, a lot of challenges that I could see that would, uh, I guess, get in your way along the road. As with any new venture, um, I definitely thought at the time that the idea had had legs, um, but obviously there was a lot of things to overcome. Take me through sort of the who, what, when, where, and how of of Mison. Um, and everything that's sort of been happening for you over the last 12 months. Sure. Yeah. So obviously, yeah, we, we worked together um, at the previous company I was working at, which is Kane Burden. Um, and um, after leaving there, I, um, I'd i actually been working uh, for six months, uh, six months, six years in real estate, should I say. And um, that'd been full time right out of high school. And I'd gotten to a point um, where I was just sort of burnt out. And rather than looking for new opportunities in, in real estate or in the corporate world, I actually wanted to um, sort of travel a bit, uh, enjoy my youth, um, go back to uni, do all that sort of stuff and, and sort of make the most of it. So um, I actually had plans to go and visit my family in Greece and set up for two or three months there out of our family home there um, and, and, and sort of have a job that I could do from a laptop. Um, and my idea behind it was that if I can have a business that, or, or at least just a small job, like a freelance job that can sort of generate me a bit of income while I'm sitting overseas and enjoying the sun and all that, then that's perfect. So I sort of thought back to what I did for the past six years, what I was good at. And also, I guess, um, inadvertently started picking apart where there's a, a need for my services. And, and that's where I sort of started realizing that um, obviously prospecting lead generation um, and just phone calls in general are highly important in real estate, other professional services as well and financial services, but real estate in particular. And so I, I thought to, uh, to sort of get that freelance job and get, you know, a couple hundred bucks a week or whatever it may be going, um, I would offer what I was good at, which was uh, phone calls, lead generation and prospecting just to a, a couple of my contacts in the industry. Um, obviously through that, it's went from one client to two to three to all of a sudden a, a workload that wasn't manageable. Um, and then I remember having a, a chat with my dad about it and we sort of sat down and said, okay, maybe maybe this is worth uh, exploring and building it into um, a business from there. Obviously uh, behind, I guess, behind the name, there's a little bit of meaning. What was sort of the inspiration behind Meson? Yeah. So it's actually, well, it's actually got a Greek origin. So Meson um, means uh, the middle, the, well, 
this, the actual expression doesn't have a direct translation, but the, the, the word means the middle. Um, and that's sort of what we are. We're not necessarily the people that are um, selling a product and we're not the people that are obviously carrying out the service. We're just in between. We're, we're uh, between you and your clients is the way that we say it. So we're the best sort of appointment setters that you can get. Take me through, obviously you work across a lot of, a lot of different industries. Um, take me through sort of the, I guess, the breadth of your, of your client base. Obviously real estate is, uh, is one element. What, what are sort of the other industries that you cover across now? Yeah, so real estate is our bread and butter. Well, it has been up until obviously um, recently. It's, it's been a little bit tougher to sort of break into that real estate market given what's happening in, in the current um, climate. Um, but it was also what we knew and, and where we already had some, some success. So for me to be able to convince people to come on board uh, in the beginning, having success in the industry, working at the companies that I've worked at, um, it, it, held, it held some merit. So it was easier to bring people on board and convince them that I knew what I was talking about. Then we obviously used that as leverage to sort of get into other industries. But also there were times where people would approach us through word of mouth or through referrals and sort of say, hey, do you think you can help us in in a specific industry. And, and I guess the one that's coming to mind is uh, uh, probably half a year ago, um, we were introduced to a lawyer, which at first in my mind, I sort of, you know, when we're, when we're brainstorming what sort of different industries we could get into, law came to mind, but I, I immediately thought, well, surely there's going to be some implications where we can't say certain things. Therefore, you know, what if they ask us a question that we can't answer? It's, it's, it's useless. It's better that the lawyer um, makes a phone call, but um were approached uh, by a lawyer that was referred to us. We came up with a strategy and realized that the calls that we were making just d- did not discuss in any way, shape or form any sort of legal proceedings or any sort of, um, I guess, anything to do with law. It was more setting an appointment from an existing database that he already had. Um, and it was offering them a, 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 essentially an offer that he had coming towards the end of the year. So there's plenty of things like that. And we're still, to, to be quite frank, Jack, we're still working out where we can work and where we're going to be successful and there's a few different industries that we've tried in and, and probably haven't been the most successful in and um, I think it's it's um, partly uh, I guess um, overkill is, is probably the word for it you know getting a team of highly trained professional um, callers to be setting appointments for you when half the time all that's required is a, is a text you know depending on the industry um, it's a little bit overkill so and obviously, people want to see return on investment. And if, if it's not happening, um, we, we often even recommend them to, to go to like a texting service or, um, you know, uh, a mail marketing um, service from there. To build on, obviously, the, uh, I guess, in some senses, the limitations of, of your business model being highly, um, highly trained and highly specific in what you do. Um, Take me through, obviously, in a short period of time, you've sort of established yourself very, very quickly as a market leader um, in the outbound calling and appointment setting space. What's your competitive edge over your offshore rivals? Well, uh, offshore is a completely sort of different thing. So we, you know, we, we see our competition in, in three different um, spaces. One is other outsourced companies that are based out of Australia, you know, a similar sort of um, service where it's high quality, um, I guess, uh, you know, Australian national people calling uh, and all that sort of stuff. Then it's outsourced to the Philippines or to Southeast Asia, you know, countries that have similar uh, time codes to us, but the people obviously um, are are a lot cheaper to hire. And then lastly is the internal 
salesperson or sales assistant or hiring someone to do those calls internally um, of a company. So they're, they're sort of the three different parts of competition we have. And um, oftentimes we, we sort of turn around and depending on the client, we say, yeah, look, we're, we're probably not the best option for you from what you're asking and for the price that you want to pay, you know, uh, outsourcing it to the Philippines or something is probably the best option. Um, because what we offer compared to them is we're a team of people that essentially will speak to you like this on the phone. There's no script per se. Um, that's one of the sort of points of differences that originally was kind of hard to get people's heads around. But now I think we've, we've had enough of a track record that I can sort of harp on about this. Um, we sort of train our people to speak conversationally. Everyone, everyone sounds natural on the phone. Everyone sounds like they're not some outsourced person in an office um, sitting under me, but they're actually sitting in your office, Jack, and they're sitting right next to you making a call on behalf of you. Um, and they sound personable and they sound like, you know, they're, they're actually trying to offer you something genuine, not just trying to sell something and, and get onto the next call. Um, and that came through actually teaching people to, to make a conversation as opposed to teaching people how to read a script and perform. Um, you know, you, you've, you've seen Wolf of Wall Street, obviously, Jack, you know, the, the, the classic scene where he's sitting in the warehouse training his guys on a script and they're saying the exact same thing and they're all the vice president or whatever. Um, as much as I love the film, I, I wanted to avoid that in, in all um, possible ways. And um, I thought as well, even real estate was really, really heavy on the scripts. It was always about scripts and dialogue, scripts and dialogues. Every training was, here's a new script, here's a new dialogue. But at the end of the day, if you're all training on the same scripts and same dialogues, it sounds not only the same, but it sounds unnatural. And people are, are really keen at picking up what, what doesn't sound natural to them, what sounds like a sales call. Um, so that's been one of our biggest ways that we've sort of differentiated ourselves from at least, uh, you know, competition that's similar to us. In terms of outsourcing, one of the things, and, and sort of a, I guess, a taboo topic or the way that we discuss it is always a little bit sensitive, but one of the ways that we've, we've sort of, um, I guess, beaten the outsourced option to, to, to overseas at least is that um, we sort of harp on about the fact that we're all locally based and we all speak you know, without an accent, which is, for lack of a better word, um, you know, I guess some people don't want that sort of telemarketing sounding call center calling on behalf of their clients, especially given some of the clients that we have. Um, so that's that's probably the, the, the two biggest ways that we sort of, uh, beat businesses um, and sort of get get business on board is by is by harping on about the way that we go about making calls and the quality that we do it, and then obviously the fact that you know we're not really uh, a call center per se. We we are, but we're not at the same time. I guess to touch on that that second half, obviously there's always a tendency to be politically correct, but if I can yeah. sort of package it together for yeah. you a little bit, the brands that you work with um, are quite, are quite large and have quite a big reputation in their, uh, in their marketplace. And they expect that to be upheld in the sense that uh, the people, you know, the clients you're speaking to on their behalf, um, I guess, have a certain expectation of service and, and quality of service that can't be matched uh, exactly. within a sort of a larger call center kind of environment. Exactly right. That's, that's the whole thing. It's um, like I said before, it's, we want it to make it sound like it's not, you know, John calling from uh, his office on the other side of Melbourne. It's John calling sitting right next to you in your own office. We want it to sound like we belong in the office. And there's been plenty of times um, where people have gone, ah, oh, you know, no, thanks, Jack. Uh, I'm not interested, but um, tell, tell Jim, I said, hi, as if, you know, we're sitting in the same office and we can turn around and, and say hi to Jim. You know, it's, it's, it gets to the point where, 
Um, we, we hoped it would come to this and it has where people assume that we are um, actually that person's sort of PA or sales assistant sitting within their office. It's a great testimonial to, I guess, your business and your strategy. You obviously spoke about the conversational nature of how you speak to leads um, and how you book appointments. What have you found, obviously, transitioning from real estate where there's an element of, I guess, there's a lead generation call, a prospect call, a touching base call, really, um, setting an appointment, and then a more of a sales-based call um how have you sort of combined those ingredients and what you learned from that industry into preparing your team to put together the perfect i guess lead gen call or appointment setting call yeah um well it's actually funny because i never liked making these calls (laughs) which is which is actually funny i i never liked making the calls i you know i always wanted to be that person out doing appointments and uh, meeting people and sitting down and having coffees and going to opens and all that sort of stuff but because I didn't like them and I knew I had to do it because obviously you need a prospect to get those appointments. I started generating a way in which I thought I could get more appointments per hour. Cause in my head, I, I thought if I can, if I have to sit down for three hours and make calls, which I don't like doing, I'd rather sit down and make three hours of calls and get as much possible from that. You know, there was a lot of people in the industry and there still are that can lock themselves in a room for a day and they don't really care about their speed or whatever. They just know that they're going to be there all day making calls and they'll take their time and they'll, you know, they'll, they'll just be robotic and methodical. And hi, Jack, uh, just wanted to let you know the market's gone up uh, 10%. We just wanted to see, you know, if you wanted an updated market appraisal. And most people will say no, but they, they're playing a numbers game. And I just didn't like that. I didn't want to be sitting there all day. I, I, you know, this was before the business. I just didn't want, I didn't like that. So I thought, how do I, how do, I do an hour's worth of calls? and get what someone else would get out of three hours worth of calls. Um, and then obviously, yeah, we, we sort of started, uh, I mean, everything's built on scripts. It's not that we don't use scripts and it's not that, you know, uh, we, we're just saying whatever. It's that. Um, it's a style. It's a style. That's right. And, and you can, you can say things as it's well. It's the delivery, like, I guess. It's, it's the delivery. Yeah. And it's, and it's even just having the right scripts ready, but not following it in a script. So you can, you can just have the right sentences ready, the right words ready. And, and even for example, last week, obviously everything's changed with this coronavirus. So a lot of our scripts had to be updated or a lot of our dialogues had to be upgraded, uh, updated to add in something to do with that. But it, it wasn't that we were sort of writing a whole script about coronavirus. It was just that should someone ask about the market now that it's been affected by coronavirus, guys, this is what we're going to say. But even then, I didn't write it out for them. We had a team meeting and I explained it to them. And everyone has a little bit of a different style. Um, and and actually, it's actually funny because we had this one guy, Nick, who was in um, and, and we're sort of teaching that we had a new client on board. Uh, we were doing appointment setting for a car dealership. Again, a new industry that we hadn't sort of considered per se. And um, the, I think that the line in the, in the sort of, the, the skeleton script that I gave them because once I train them up, I do give them a skeleton script, obviously. So they know what, you know, what they're calling for and who they're calling about and all that sort of stuff. Um, and I think the line was, we'd like to extend an invitation to you. And as we we're practicing it, I, I could hear Nick say, we'd like to extend an invitation to you. And it just didn't sound natural. It sounded really scripty. And so I, I, I stopped him and I said, Nick, how would you, how would you say this normally? And he goes, I'd like to invite you. I said, great. Say it like that. It's the same thing. We're saying the exact same thing. It's still an invitation. We're still asking for the exact same thing, but he said it in a way that sounded way more natural. It didn't break his flow as well. So he didn't get caught up on words or whatever. And 
you know, he's still got the same delivery across. So that's sort of, you know, we're not, we're not super strict on the script in that sense, as long as we're saying the right things. And, and also, I guess, not saying things that we shouldn't be, um, it's all fine. But um, yeah, the, the whole training process of each staff member is, is based around the conversation. Then it's based around, actually, I guess the first part is actually understanding what you want from a conversation, what you want from a phone call. Because a lot of people just make a phone call and think the phone call is the objective. You know, if I call Jack and he answers, uh, uh, I've won. Well, no, you haven't. You, what, what are you trying to get out of it? If you're calling in real estate, which is arguably a, quite an interesting sort of um, uh, industry, because a lot of the times, as I'm sure you know, Jack, you know, someone's not going to transact with you for a year, two years of you knowing them, but you need to build a relationship in that time. But you also, 90% of the time, aren't going to be seeing them. It's all going to be over the phone or text or emails or whatever it may be. So each time you're calling them, you're finding a reason to call. But sometimes people, I don't know, are expecting something out of the call when, when realistically the call just needs to be about providing information. You need to know when the call is. We're just calling to let them know about some information and that's it. I'm just trying to give them some advice or I'm just trying to give them a bit of information. And then other times it's, I'm actually asking them for an appraisal or I'm actually asking them, to sit down and have a coffee with them, whatever it may be. You need to know what the reason is. Um, and then I guess the next part would be understanding how a, a natural conversation would flow. And, and Jack, you'd actually be surprised that a lot of people sort of don't know, or at least maybe they do know, but they're too nervous to sort of say anything. And they think it, they might be saying something wrong. So they, they get stuck and they freeze and they don't know what to say next. So training people to understand that it's okay to have a natural conversation over the phone and even if someone takes you down a detour that isn't business related, you know, plenty of times you'll call someone, hey, how are you? Oh, mate, I'm just at the doctor's. Oh, and they start talking about something else. Go with it for a little bit. You know, there's nothing wrong with having a conversation with someone. Um, and then eventually we integrate the script at the end because obviously we have new industries, we have new clients, we have new campaigns that we run for our clients. So we always need to have a skeleton script that we, we give to them and that's updated and um, they have, an, uh, I guess, a, a, a you know, something to, to go off. And I can't just say, yeah, just start calling for Jack. And they go, Jack, Jack who? Oh, hello. It's too late. You know, you got to give them a, an understanding of why they're going to call. So um, that's, yeah, I, I guess that's it. I know I'm rambling a little bit. I'm sorry. No, we, I guess we started to lap over a little bit into, I guess, team building and the dynamics that you've got going on behind the scenes, which are really, really interesting to me. One of the things that we've spoken about uh, previously was about sort of flexible working, flexible work hours. Yep. How do you run your team, um, you know, yourself, your team, to get the most out of them day to day and the most out of it, obviously for your clients, as far as results goes, you obviously touch a little bit on not wanting people sitting in a room for seven, eight hours doing calls. Absolutely. How have you structured that? And how, I guess, has your experience in the past and working with different operators um, across the real estate industry and now working with your own team yeah. allowed you to really structure their day for them? Yeah, well, I think um, real estate's actually, uh, as well, working in the industry, it was actually quite unique in the sense that uh, a lot of other companies, especially, you know, talking with my friends and whoever else got jobs at the same time as me, um, you know, they had, you have to be in there at 8 a.m., you're working until X amount of time, this is your lunch break for an hour, come back, work till five, see you later, get on the train and you're home. Um, and, and obviously, because real estate, we have appointments, sometimes we even, you know, we're working till seven, eight at night. Uh, we've got Saturdays and all that. It's a little bit more flexible. So I got a bit of a taste for it in real estate. Um, and it was one of those sort of, you know, work your own hours sort of thing to an extent. Um, but 
different operators in the industry were, were stricter with that than others. And um, Michael Armstrong, who I worked most recently with, who you obviously know, Jack, was actually quite good with that. Um, you know, he, he, he sort of introduced me to the concept, which I loved. And um, the book, The 4-Hour Workweek, um, also sort of touched on as well, where it's like, if you're not feeling great, you're going to come in and have, you know, a really low energy day and not perform. It's, it's, it's not only going to affect that day, it's going to affect the day after and the day after that. So there's three days of half energy rather than taking one day off, getting your energy back and coming back the day after. And all you've missed is one day. So you haven't missed, you know, three days. You've missed one day, but you've come back the second day ready to hit it hard and ready to hit it loud. Um, and so that's what I sort of built on. And again, because one of the things that, you know, the, the, I guess good or bad, this business wasn't started originally as a business. It was meant to be just freelance work and sort of develop from there. Um, we developed the culture together. I hired my first um, sort of four boys uh, all at once because we got one big client Um I think it was probably August last year. So I hired four of them and we prepared for a month. So we actually had a whole four weeks of training, getting everyone up to scratch. And in that time, I sort of, I told them my idea behind the culture that I wanted to develop. And, and they, they, they gave me some tips and they, um, they sort of helped me develop it as well. And, and what we sort of landed on was an environment where you're exactly right, Jack. I don't want anyone sitting for eight hours on the phone. It's going to burn them out. And even if they manage to do it one day, if I make them do that for 40 hours in a week, I'm not going to have them there next week. I'm not going to have them there next one because they're going to be burnt out. They're going to want to do something else. There's plenty of other casual jobs that will pay them the same amount of money. And, or even if it's less, but you know, they get their sanity back. They get their, you know, a, a whole day on the phones of rejections really gets to someone. It doesn't matter how mentally strong you are, especially when you're not reaping the, the rewards on the other end. You know, in real estate, you're calling a whole day, but, you know, if you just get one listing out of it, that's straight into your pocket and you're laughing. It's, it's unreal. So that's, that's obviously why you're doing it for us. Obviously we're, we're compensated by um, hourly rate and then um, some commission on top of that, if the boys perform. So it's not as much as what a real estate agent would get. And, and that's why I don't want to burn them out. Lastly, it was, I sort of didn't want to develop a culture where it wasn't fun to be at, if that makes sense. So, um, uh, like, and, and, you know, we're still sort of trying to discover this as well, but I, I, I wanted to get to a place where people were happy to come to work, even if they knew the work that they were about to do was going to be difficult or tough, or they were going to get, you know, rejected on the phones all day. Um, I, I wanted to develop a culture where we, we could have a lot of fun. And, and I guess partly because I'd been working for six years in, in, in offices with a, a really old operators and, a very strict professional environment, you know, always suits. In fact, Cane Burton was the first place where I could have a casual Friday. And that wasn't even casual. That was just you can put on chinos instead of your your suit, right? So um, I wanted to, do, to turn that around and say, well, we're all young. Um, we're all, you know, I guess now we're, we're friends outside of work as well. Um, I want to keep it professional. I want to keep our work as, as good as possible. And I want to make sure that we perform. What do I need to do for that? Um, and, and that was actually one of the sort of the first questions when we were developing the culture. I said, if you're going to do an hour's worth of calls, what do you need to do to make sure that hour is as effective as possible? Um, and some of the boys, you know, would say, oh, ping pong table. Great. Let's do that. Is that going to make you work more effectively? Yes, it is. Great. I'll get your ping pong table. Uh, some of the other boys said, oh, I just only want to do three or four hours in a day. 
great, no problem. <laughs> Three or four hours in a day, done. Um, and some of the others would sort of turn around and, and, and be like, look, I just, I want, um, you know, I want to work in the back end. I want uh, to come to a few meetings. I want to sort of learn how you do the business. You know, everyone's rewarded a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. And so I, I try to, at least at the smaller scale that we're at now, uh, accommodate everybody um, and, and sort of develop the culture that way. I guess I, I think I've answered your question as best as possible. Yeah, uh, we'll touch a little bit more a little bit later on your sort of, sure, sure. I guess, your day and your breakdown, which will give people, I guess, more of a practical insight to that question as well. Um, sure. But to touch on a couple of things, the four-hour work week by Timothy Ferris changed my life. Um, obviously, you've read it. Um, interestingly, that you um, that you bring up Michael and Michael, obviously, being a fan of that book. Um, I think the obviously the, the overall theme of that, and it's hard to, I guess, cover cover everything in that book in one, I guess, one statement, but really mm. it sort of promotes that digital nomad kind of life. It's very right. interesting how you've taken that concept and you're actually now allowing, you know, that being the founding idea for you with, um, with Mison being you being able to go to Greece, do some calls and make some money um, and live basically with your laptop. Um, but now actually being able to provide that to your team members as well within the structure of a business. So they're doing three hours or they're doing one hour on one hour off. Um, I guess there's really nothing stopping you guys going to Bali and and still being, um, you know, still being at work if they've got a laptop and they've got their headset, but away they go really. Exactly right. That, that is actually, you've hit the nail on the head. That's part of the thing where I went, okay, if they go to Bali, I'm coming. I thought, you know, what, what if one time we went and we did, you know, a team retreat? No, but like, I know it sounds like a joke, but what if we did? We went to Bali all together as a team, um, you know, for four hours, five hours during the day. We all sit down in a separate part of the, the resort or the villa, whatever it may be, make our calls. Again, it's coming from an Australian mobile number. It's calling Australian people with Australian accents on the other end of the line. So we're still doing our work. Um, and then you know we go and enjoy ourselves <laughs> at the beach or something. You know it's 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 you know we're not going to do that obviously, and you know we can't I guess now given what's happening. But that was sort of the the idea that um, I wanted to provide people the option to to sort of live their lives as well. It wasn't like a job where it drags them down and you know they're forced to come to it. Everyone everyone is more than welcome to leave at any time as well. And I don't just mean sort of like quit the company. I also mean anyone's more than welcome to leave the office at any time as well. If someone's midway through making calls, they're more than welcome to, I, I sort of say finish your hour at least, but let's say they finish their hour. They're, they're welcome to get up and go, oh, you know what, John, I'm feeling a bit, I'm feeling a bit shitty today. I'm going to go, okay, no problem. How many hours did you do out of the, the amount that you were meant to do? I was meant to do five. I've done three. When are you going to do the rest of the two? Uh, I'll come back in four hours time and I'll finish the other two. Sounds good. See you then. You know, it, there's nothing wrong with that. It's um, which which blows some people's mind. I know the, some of my older clients don't like when I speak like that. But um, you know, one of the beauties of the business is that we we sort of get the amount of hours that we need to do in a week, right? Um, or tasks that we need to complete. Um, we know when they need to be done by, and very 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 rarely do they need to be done the next day. You know, we we will get someone sign up now, for example, and they'll say, "I need you to do 40 hours worth of calls for us." between Monday and Friday next week. So, and we, we know obviously we're not going to leave all 40 to Thursday and Friday. We're going to sort of split it evenly from the start of the week to the end of the week. Um, and, and we'll try and get the best hours of the day. But 
you know, people can switch hours with someone else. People can move their hour back 30 minutes. It's not, you know, sort of going to make or break anything. Um, but if it's going to mean that they're going to come and sit down and make calls to the best of their ability rather than, oh, geez, I'm running late for work. And they sort of, they rush in and they make a few calls and, you know, they, they, they don't really push when they should have and they're not alert and they don't pick up the signs or the right words. It's a waste of a call. It's a waste of an hour. And that's an hour that we've been paid for. So I'd rather them come when it's right, when they've got their energy. Again, within reason, they know when things need to be done by. They can't just leave it all to the last minute and then you know get upset because they need to leave. But um, I, want, I want when people are making calls for them to be at 1,000% so that we get the best for our clients and therefore, um, you know, obviously, you know, the, the business can get some success out of it that way. I think you touched on a couple of really interesting points there. I'm not sure if you are familiar with um, Mimi and Alex Icon, who run a couple of businesses, one being Intelligent Change um, in the UK. But one of the things they do when they onboard um, when they onboard staff is they give them a copy of the book Lynchpin by Seth Godin, which is another excellent book. Uh, basically, you can take from the title, it's about every employee really providing um, excellent value to the business and being a linchpin in that in that company, um, and I guess it really speaks to in in some elements with your business. Each of your guys is a linchpin for your business. When they're on the phone for you, they're representing you and they're representing the client, and you need them at one hundred and twenty percent every single time they're picking up the phone. Um, and I guess you've just really designed that. You've reverse engineered that structure to actually provide that to your clients. Um, you touched a little bit on sort of some of the older clients, not, I guess probably <laughs> steering away from that a little bit, uh, which is understandable, obviously, you know, perseverance and hard work and some of those things generationally, um, you know, some of those things generationally that are passed on and, you know, you sit down, you've got five hours of work to do, you do the five hours and it sort of is what it is. I guess you've actually been able to flip the script on that with those clients and say, well, actually, if you look at the end result, we're getting you the results that you want. Um, and I guess that really speaks speaks volumes to um, to the method. Um, what did we say before in the intro? A million dollars of prospective sales revenue across eight different industries. How long was that period? I think it's, I think it's a little bit over now. It was, uh, that was, uh, we started counting from six months ago. So we wanted to do a six month um, sort of period because the, the business did start actually, to be honest, I'm pretty sure it was a year ago to yesterday. Congratulations. Um, the, 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 yeah, the company was registered, but that was, again, for me. So it wasn't until, and I'm going to say June or July, that we started to develop it into a business. And it was July, August, towards the end of July, August, that um, we started really sort of ramping it up and bringing clients on board. So that's why, that's why, yeah, it's a bit rough to sort of say, you know, when we actually started it, started it, um, because it, it sort of had this natural progression from freelance work into business. Um, but we, we wanted some level of metric and rather than saying seven and a half months, we, we started counting from, um, we did our figures from six months ago. Yeah. Well, um, and it's, and, and you said earlier, sorry, 75,000 um, calls, it's 75,000 conversations. So the amount of outbound calls would be you know, a lot more than that as well. So it's, you know, as I'm sure, you know, you call 20 people, you get onto 10 if you're lucky. Um, so uh, yeah. Very impressive numbers. Um, to speak a little bit more to the business side, just quickly. Yeah. Um, obviously, your your day evolved from day one, sitting down, registered business. I'm making outbound calls on behalf of a client. Whereas now, obviously, part of your day is managing the team. 
part of your day, I would assume is still making outbound calls on behalf of clients, but then there's also the the prospecting side of your business. So you calling your own leads um, and trying to follow up and, and book in book in jobs for your team. Um, how have you found that transition between, I, I guess, having your sole focus on delivering one result for your client, which obviously incentivizes you um, in, in one way, into shifting into more of a, a business focus where your, I guess, concentration, your focus is spread across three, four, five, six different areas? I think um, the first challenge that I, I faced was um, delegation. And it wasn't so much not knowing what tasks to delegate. It was more trusting those people to um, uh, perform the task and to perform it to the ability that I wanted them to. Um, you know, I had done everything obviously at the start. Plus, I guess maybe a little bit of ego. You think you can do everything the best. So then having to step back. And, and the first part obviously was, okay, I'm now no longer going to make these calls. I'm, uh, you, you know, I'm, like you said, I still am doing some calls for my clients. But when I first brought on the first couple of people um, and they had to start making calls on behalf of our clients, all of a sudden I, our company has now trusted me to, to put these four people or these five people to make calls for them. That first hurdle was actually really hard for me and I sat with them and I listened to every conversation they made and, and not realizing that that probably made him a bit nervous. Um, and so I had to, the first hurdle, yeah, was just, just realizing that, you know, train these people up, um, get them on, on the same page with you for your vision, your goals and everything like that, and make sure they're capable of performing it and then trust them because, you know, you can't, you can't micromanage and especially it goes against everything um, that our culture is, you know, micromanagement isn't within our culture yet. You know, I guess at the start, maybe I did a little bit of it. Um, but yeah, it slowly sort of progressed. And as I got, as we got more and more clients, obviously I could do a little bit less calls and sort of turn more onto managing the business. And I needed to, obviously there was more invoices, there was more payroll, there was all that sort of back end stuff. Um, and I guess, you know, there was initially as well, a learning curve with all of that sort of stuff, because never having run a business and again, not actually planning to have run a business. So it wasn't like I went, okay, I want to start a business in six months. I'm going to do a quick short business course and learn everything to do with, you know, running the back end of a business and how my job works and yada, yada, yada. And then I'll start my business. I was, I was already in the middle of it. I was already getting people, you know, signing up and I have to sort of work out, okay, if they're signing up, am I invoicing them correctly? I hope so. And sort of mucking around with it that way. Um, and that was, that was also hard. There was, there was sort of times where it felt like it was, uh, you know, two steps forward, one step back because I would, I'd be on the right path and we'd be getting clients, whatever. And then I would make a mistake and it was purely just because, you know, I wasn't paying attention or I had too many things on my plate. So slowly, slowly I've had to, um, learn more things and, and sort of give more to the boys. And at the start of this year, we had plant, we, we sort of set our goals and we set a strategy for this year, which has been has been altered since um, since what's happened, um, but uh, that that included uh, the, some of the boys that uh, they would they would actually take on a lot more responsibility and um, work their way up the company and sort of take over different roles and um, that that's also been quite interesting because one of them was it went from me making all the calls on behalf of my business like you were saying you know calling clients and trying to get them on board to actually now bringing another two people on as business development managers to help me do that as well. Um, and that, that was even harder than getting them to do my client stuff. You know, it's, all of a sudden now it's, it's, we really sort of went, okay, well, they, they, they're not only having to 
um, call on behalf of my clients. They're also having to know my stuff. But, you know, they, these, these are guys that have been with me since the start and they knew how to improvise and adapt to any script. You know, they've been working with all of those eight industries that we've worked in, um, provided results for every single one of our clients. So I trusted them and, and I had to keep telling myself that. And, yeah, it's turned out well. But obviously now it's it's sort of altered a little bit and we've all had to um, uh, sort of adapt a business that was already sort of in its infancy stage, immediately adapt it given what's going on in the current climate. So we've already had to learn new things. We thought we had a handle on it, but now we've had to flip and change and turn it around and sort of adapt to this this um, this environment that's currently going on in the world. Um, so, yeah. You speak about obviously putting on a couple of BDMs um, to basically farm new clients for your business. Um, I'm currently in the startup stage of uh, a couple of my own ventures, one of them being a marketing, uh, a property marketing business. Um, And that's, I've basically found that using LinkedIn has been my single greatest tool. Um, Obviously I've got the scripts and dialogues and can deliver, um, deliver the content myself to these people but i found that's been a really great way to find new clients as a startup you can go in you can look at someone's job title see where they work um, and really target sort of specific people in the industry that you want to be speaking to and it gives you great accessibility as well Um, what's the i guess for people out there sort of thinking about starting their own business how have you gone about developing a um, a strategy to prospect and find new clients because i think it's probably the biggest biggest hurdle for a lot of people they sit down they've got the they've got their sales script they know how to close any prospect that comes in but they're probably just not getting enough inbound leads into their business through referrals they actually need to step into that bdm role um, and start doing outbound um like i found linkedin really good do you use linkedin or where have you sort of taken it's it's funny with with inbound i'm probably i'm definitely not in a position to give any sort of advice because um i've I've been focused entirely on outbound lead generation for my own business um for for the entirety of the business in fact one of the one of the goals for the start of this year was to develop our strategy on on sort of inbound inquiries and start getting people apart from we already had referrals and we already had a word of mouth which is you know, that's, that's just a, I guess, um, a testament to doing a good job for someone and um, helping people out because they'll speak about you. You don't need to ask for those sorts of things. But in terms of actual, actual marketing, we haven't done anything at all, at all. Um, it's all been outbound. And one of the beauties of real estate is that every single agent and almost every director has their name, number and email online. So while I use LinkedIn, I use it for a searching tool. And so I'll use it, I'll search I'll do a quick uh, sort of bit of research on them, find out if they if they fit our criteria of the kind of people we want to work with and the kind of client that might need our service. And then for me, and again, this might be different for different people and depending on the, on the job and the industry, I pick up the phone and I give them a call. I think part of it is uh, the way that I've been trained, given um, that I was in, in real estate for a long time. I think part of it is that a lot of people I am calling, a lot of these directors and slash decision makers, are a little bit older and they're of that generation that do want that phone call. You know, if, if we were trying to close people that were, um, and I wrote an article on this as well, we, we've had different clients where we target people that are, you know, uh, I guess in their thirties or twenties, they respond better to text. They respond better to, you know, I guess LinkedIn and stuff like that. But when you're going a little bit older, when they're in their forties, fifties, especially sixties plus, they, they appreciate the phone call. In fact, they expect the phone call. They don't, they barely even read their emails when you send them one. Um, 
then I, I guess part of that is also if we're a call business, but I can't make a call to them, I feel like people are going to start questioning <laughs> our ability. <laughs> yeah. You know, if they go, this guy's a call business, but he hasn't picked up the phone. I don't know. It's, it, it, I, I'm sure at scale, this, this system that I currently got is going to need to be smoothed over. And, and that's why, again, it's, it's still in its infancy stage. So we don't necessarily have a system for it um, in terms of, uh, I guess, at scale. But I like picking up the phone and speaking to someone because I guess lastly is you don't know really what, what sort of service they want from you. You know, we, we do provide outbound calls, but there are a few different services that we provide within that. Um, and a few different ways that we can fit into businesses. And for me to sort of introduce myself uh, and, and sort of target a problem that they don't have, it's almost a bit, you know, you're, you're sort of shooting in the wrong direction. So sometimes I'd rather just get in touch with them, introduce myself, introduce what I'm about, ask to send them an email with some more information so they at least have it, even though I know they probably won't even read it, and then follow up with them. And once you do that second, third or fourth follow-up call, even if it is sometimes four follow-up conversations, that's when people start going, you know, they, they, they stop by answering, oh, hello, this is John, and start by answering, oh, hey, Jack, how are you? Because they've saved your number by the third or fourth conversation. That's when you know, okay, they're starting to engage with me a little bit more. There's probably a little bit of, of a reputation built there. I can start now being a little bit more forceful in my clothes and trying to see where our business can fit within theirs. Um, and, uh, but yeah, look, I'm, again, I'm no expert in at least the inbound side of the marketing. I, inbounds, obviously, um, you know, word of mouth is a super powerful, a super powerful tool. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously any marketing that you probably had planned for this year has been tipped on its head, just like the rest of us. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm scrambling with a couple of clients that I've signed to my, um, my new agency pretty early just to put together completely new strategies, um, for 2020 um, and then how that lays into 21 and 22 because the world is going to be a very, very different place after COVID-19. Um, so obviously we can jump on another one of these episodes after you've done a marketing campaign <laughs> and we can talk all things BDM. Chat about them. <laughs> we can talk about all things BDM then. Um, yeah. It's funny the phone call that you, you touch on. One of my biggest, um, I reckon one of my biggest assets is when I jump on the phone to a decision maker, the first thing I say when they answer the phone, you know, they'll say, you know, g'day, it's John. Um, and I'll say, John, it's Jack Roberts. Um, I'm calling to sell you a marketing package. And then I laugh. Um, and that actually completely breaks the ice. Um, but they know it's a sales call. They know that you're calling yeah. them in a BDM role. So I really use that to break it down and then get it to that conversational level. And you can find out in the first, you know, 30 to 60 seconds if they're in need of something today, right now, or if they're a person that you're actually going to be able to get them through consistent email communication. Um, and Absolutely. that's one of the things that, that I've seen, um, a digital marketing product um, that I've been working with in the last sort of two weeks um, has been generating excellent results um, for a couple of clients. And that's been really overperforming on, on LinkedIn posts. So when we post the results through LinkedIn, um, people re-engage with that after us making a phone call, after us sending the emails, after us drawing them into our social network, we can then pick them off with a post. So there's a thousand different ways, I guess, to do yeah. it. But I, I do agree with you that phone calls are still absolutely golden um, in, this age of, in this age of BDM. And I think anyone looking to start a, um, a sort of a client services style business, you, you can't be scared of getting on the phone to particularly older people. Like you say, younger mm. people, you can sort of get away with text message and email. 
Um, but older people, you get on, you bang it out in a 25, 30 minute conversation um, and you know exactly where you stand. Absolutely. And, and I mean, like at the same time, you know, our, and what you said is, is, is very true. You know, sometimes you just got to be natural. You got to break the ice and that is a reflection of your personality. So all of us make calls a little bit differently, but I think once you actually make that call, um, it's okay to, like you were saying, you know, it's okay to then work out how you're going to uh, converse after that, whether it's email, text, or they're just going to follow you on LinkedIn and see all your posts. That's okay. But I think if you can't, I don't know, I feel like if I haven't had a phone conversation with someone, I haven't spoken to them. Even if it's by text, even if it's by email, I feel like if I haven't spoken to them on the phone, I haven't spoken to them. And I feel like I, if I haven't sat down with them, I haven't met them. So it doesn't matter how many phone conversations I've had with someone. And Jack, you, you probably remember this from real estate. There'd be someone that you'd call and they'd, they'd be happy to receive follow-up calls and you'd follow up with them for months and months and months and months. You'd know their name. You'd know possibly even their partner's name. You'd know exactly what they're looking for. But all of a sudden you realize it's been months of conversations with the same person. You've never actually sat down and met the person. And, and it's, it's a weird sort of relationship from there. And I feel like people can only trust someone over the phone to a certain degree. So uh, it's it's shifted now when we're doing Zoom meetings and Zoom conversations now. But up until um, this point, it'd be very, very rare that we would get a client that would sign up without a, 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 an in-person meeting. And, and those ones were only people that we couldn't actually sit down and meet with. So if it was anyone in Melbourne, every one of my Melbourne clients I'd met with previously. As in, you know, it might've been a phone conversation that we had, built up the relationship. Yeah, John, we're interested. I'd meet them and I'd sign the contracts with them in person. The only ones that we haven't were our New South Wales clients, Queensland, and um, we've got one in Geelong. I mean, it's not that far, but still, it's, um, it's the only reason that we haven't uh, caught up with them. Because, yeah, if, if you can't pick up the phone and have a, con- a conversation with someone, I think that's <laughs> that's issue number one, let alone everything else. Um, but, yeah, everyone's a little bit different, I guess, and depending on your business, it can be a bit different. Obviously, you've uh, pitched a few clients now over the past 12 months. Um, has there been in any sort of, I guess, any meetings, any phone calls where you were really, I guess you thought you were a good chance of getting the business um, and you've ended up coming up with the opposite result and you're sort of a bit deflated and de- let down? How have you handled sort of dealing with those, those failures early in the startup stage? Because obviously every client... Um, is super, super important to you and, and your cash flow. Um, I guess, what are some of the strategies and techniques that you've found personally just to deal with, the, I guess, the ups and downs of business and the failures and successes? Yeah, I think, um, look, I think I, I've, I've been taught and I've taught myself um, over over my career to not get too upset about that. I mean, they're, they're similar to, I guess, chasing listings in real estate, right? So um, I think one of the tips is to always have other people you're speaking to um, there. So uh, when, when people hang too much on one opportunity, on one potential client and that client falls through, it's a real, it's a real heartbreaker because you, you know, you were expecting X amount to come from them and that was supposed to save you and all that. But if you're speaking to another five at the same time, you sort of just shift your focus. You go, oh, that's disappointing. What, you know, and I always reflect on all my, all my, I guess, quote unquote failures is probably not the right word for it. If a client doesn't want to, um, work with you. Uh, oftentimes, it's not actually to do with your business. It's that you're not not a right fit for their business. Um, I, I don't think I've really had any times where I've lost the business because um, of myself or the team or anything like that. Um, almost every time I've pitched for business and we haven't gotten it, it's either been that um, 
well, again, some of them are even too early to tell because there's been quite a few clients that were sort of pitched, you know, say three months ago. Um, a lot of them put us on hold and they said, yeah, getting contact towards the start of next year. Obviously, especially say real estate clients, that was slowing down over January, uh, uh, December, January. So there's no point in signing us up then. We're going to follow up in February, hopefully start a campaign in March. All of a sudden, you know, <laughs> climate changes, uh, coronavirus comes along, everything's changed from there. So again, it's still probably a, a bit too early to count those as, as out. In, in our database, at least, they're not counted as out. Um, but the ones that we have lost um, have almost always been either outsourced to somewhere like the Philippines where it is incredibly cheap and they were looking just for uh, someone to, to make the calls, not so much for the quality of the calls, or they've hired someone in-house instead. And they'll sort of tossing up the options between an outsource option and an in-house option. Um, and how we deal with them is just, I guess, you know, it's, it's business, right? It's nothing's personal. Um, I, I, I get a little bit annoyed and, and I probably shouldn't when someone doesn't um, give you any feedback and not so much feedback, you know, when they just sort of start ignoring your calls and you obviously realize that they're not interested, but I, I sort of, again, they don't owe you anything. I sort of expect at least a phone call or a text or an email saying, Hey, and, and plenty of clients have done this to us. Hey John, you know, thanks for the opportunity. I'm oh, sorry. Sorry. The other way around. Hey John, thanks for coming. Thanks for meeting with us. But uh, you know, your business isn't right for us right now. Well, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. That's I, I, I might ask for a bit of feedback. I might say, Hey, was it, was it anything to do with what we said or was it more to do with, you know, your own business? And I might say, Oh, look, we didn't, we didn't want to outsource it to X, Y, and Z, or oh, we, we prefer to, um, we prefer to hire someone in house. Great. Thanks. Well, look, we'll keep in touch. And, you know, if anything changes, let us know. There's nothing wrong with that. I don't like when people start ignoring you though. And, um, you know, stop returning your calls and it's just sort of, a, 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 in my head, it's a little bit unprofessional and it's surprising as well when it happens from like, you know, 50 year olds that have been running businesses for 30 years and, uh, you know, that's that's how it is. That's that's the only one that sort of upsets me or, or gets me a little bit frustrated, but you can't do much about them, I guess. One of the things that I have personally found um, beneficial to me, particularly with dealing with that kind of rejection, when someone's like, yeah, 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 we're really keen, we love what you do, just let me have a think about it for a bit, and then they go cold and you just hit in their voicemail, You've left them four voicemails. You've sent them a t like 15 text messages, two emails, and the guy's just not responding. Um, one of the things that I realized probably relatively recently is that humans really, really struggle to say no, particularly yeah. when you're very good at what you're doing. So if you're actually demonstrating value and you're providing an excellent service to people, people will really struggle to say no to your face. Um, I guess this interplays in two things. Never be scared to ask for the business because there's a lot of people that even though they're probably a maybe and maybe even sliding on the no side of things, if you've delivered, if you've just pitched the house down, right, and then you turn around and you ask for the business, they're actually just going to say yes because they really struggle to say no to someone that's really passionate, that's delivered a really good presentation and really knows their stuff. Um, and then the second element is it's really easy not to take it personally when you actually think, geez, I did such a good, good job of convincing this person, they can't even turn around and say, no, I can't afford it or it's not mm. a right fit for me or whatever because they actually probably believe what you've pitched them. There's just something else that's going on in their world um, that isn't quite right for them. Um, yeah. Another I think, strategy, uh, oh, I guess, oh, from, that's okay, just from um, a BDM perspective quickly, is the people that 
I lose contact with, I've actually found this really interesting thing happens with them psychologically. So someone that can be like, oh, you know, I'm pretty keen and then they go quiet on you. They actually then they're scared to re-engage with you when the time is right for them. Um, and one of the biggest things that I've just made sure that I've built out um, more for when I start scaling, um, scaling a few of my businesses and having teams working on things is making sure um, that my software and my CRMs actually follow up these clients in a more passive way once they've been marked. Um, I guess, out or, or cold, you know, they're no longer interested. We've tried everything to close them the first time. They go into an into a separate lead nurture strategy and we still keep in contact with them and almost look to give them um, an easy way back in. So we've sort of given them the hard way out by chasing them and doing everything we can as salespeople to get the deal closed. Um, but it can often sort of, they've retracted inside their shell. You then use, whether it's email or handwritten letters, one of the things that I use as well, just to reintroduce people to the business. Um, Christmas gifting, birthday gifting, things like that are really great elements, um, I guess, for anyone that wants to work on their on their BDM sort of side of their business to draw these people back into your brand when the time That's is right. right. Like you said, they're going to be a bit too nervous to reach out to you because they might think, oh, I've ignored him, I've ignored him, I can't just call him back now. So sometimes you just have to be the bigger man, I guess, for, for lack of a better word, and just reach out to them first and say, look, it's been three months. Um, you know, you didn't respond to me three months ago, but how's everything going? You know, can we can we um, have a conversation about what we were ta- talking about a couple months ago? And sometimes people will answer after three months and they'll, oh, sorry. I, I always get, you know, I've, I've had this quite a bit and actually I had this more in real estate. Oh, sorry, we didn't call you back then. We we're a bit busy. You know, this was three, four, five, six months ago sometimes. But you know what? You just have to, again, like you're saying, sometimes people don't know how to say no or they've got other things going on. You don't know their circumstance. It's okay. I think, you know, the biggest tip I can is just, and, and this is an old school business tip, is just not to take it personally. A lot yep. of the time people are rejecting your business, not because of the business, not because of your effort, not because, and, and like you're saying, Jack, you know, sometimes you've got all the passion, you know, you've done a good pitch, but sometimes it's just not right for their business. And that's fine. That's totally fine. Keep in touch with them. Things change. You know, look at what's happened now. A lot of our clients um, have had to adapt their businesses already. And a lot of the people that actually said no to us, um, in fact, the, the people that said no to us and hired someone in-house instead, we have now turned around and actually retargeted them given what's happening with um, with COVID-19 now. Because we're thinking, you know, something along the lines of, and as harsh it is, as it is to say, um, you know, the 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 you know, obviously the market's changing, keeping people on board, paying people wages, paying people annual leave, sick leave, all that sort of stuff. It might start to get expensive. A lot of stuff uh, across Australia are getting stood down. Maybe this is our opportunity to take that headache away from the directors, take the overheads away from the directors and be that outsourced option that they didn't consider three months ago. So there's always going to be circumstances that change. If you just, oh, that person didn't call me back, forget about him, F him, blah, blah. That's that's a wasted opportunity. It's um, taking it personally will, will will kill your business. Not only with, I mean, we we had a we had someone earlier on this year that, and this is the first time that it's ever happened to me. Um, they didn't pay one of our invoices in excess of ten grand. So you know that was a lot of money, especially you know business at the start, this business that uh, this is money that we need to to survive and grow and develop and all that sort of stuff. And ten grand, they just they stop paying, and it wasn't the um, you know, the fact that they didn't pay that annoyed me. It was the, the fact that they were ignoring calls and all that sort of stuff, you know, all of a sudden, then it started to feel personal. 
But again, you got to remember that I don't know what's going on in their situation. Maybe they've come into money trouble. Maybe whatever it may be, um, you have to treat everything as you would, you know, a business sort of tactic, if that makes sense. Uh, you can't you can't start getting personal and calling them up and swearing at them or whatever it may be. I guess within, you know, I guess every circumstance is different, but we, we didn't treat it that way. We treated it as you would any other sort of debt that's outstanding, um, continued to follow up with them and, and eventually obviously got paid. But, you know, there was a time where, especially given it was the first time it's ever happened to me, I took it a little bit personally and I, and I got a little bit upset and I started getting a little bit stressed and there was a lot of money to leave on the table and I didn't want to lose it. And we'd done a lot of good work for these people. And, you know, in, in fact, it, ironically, we, 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 <laughs> we actually produced some of the best results for these people. So it was, it was a little bit disappointing that it, they, they didn't pay. And anyway, long story short, um, I, I managed to sort of calm myself down, take any sort of personal emotion out of it and treat it purely as a business transaction and, and, and a business experience and, and um, you know, overcome it that way. If I can summarize everything you said in a quick little phrase, I think um, it would be, you have to leave your ego at the door. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, if you're, if you if you look, yeah, I'm actually going to go a little bit against that to, to an extent. I think leave your ego at the door um, when I think you need to have the emotional intelligence to understand when ego is going to be used as a tool to help you and to, to be used to drive your passion and to be used to sort of, you know, to an extent as well. Um, and, and Jack, I know you're, you're very similar to me in this sense, you know, when you know you're onto something and you know that you you have a business that can help someone and you're passionate about it, even before you had the track record. So especially right at the start of my business, we didn't have a track record. It arguably wasn't even proven in the market. You know, a lot of our, uh, the start and still now is educating people on what we're doing. I had to bring a little bit of confidence to the table and I had to tap into ego a little bit. And maybe, maybe it's the wrong word for it. You know, a lot of people don't like, like using the word ego, but I had to use a little bit of that sort of self-confidence to, to really um, drive what I knew I had home and, and convince them that I knew that I had it. But, I was also, I think, emotionally intelligent enough to know when to leave that at the door for, say, circumstances, like I said, with the, with the bill outstanding and stuff like that, where, where I knew all it would do is cause more harm than it would good. I think it's really good insight. Um, if we could rewind mm. to day one at Mison, what would you do differently? Um, I think, I think uh, for good or for bad, I think one of my... my biggest gripe to the business was that it, again, I didn't plan it originally as a business. If I could go back and start it from the start, I would have, you know, a solid six months of planning, education, um, raising capital, perhaps all that sort of stuff, putting some money aside, um, even if it's my own rather than raising any um, to be able to sort of hit it hard from the start. One of the, the biggest problems from day one was that not only was it not meant to be a business, but I didn't start it with a lot of capital. Um, and so which, which arguably was a business that needed a, quite a bit of capital at the start. So there were times where there were certain clients perhaps that we couldn't bring on board or there were certain things that we couldn't do because we didn't have the money for it or I didn't have the business expertise to go about developing um, something or whatever it may be because I was doing it as it came along. So I think if I could go back and, and do something again, it would be um, 
you know, plan it out properly as a business from the start, rather than as I was as I was going along, we sort of planned it. If that makes sense, you know, we've we've, we've now obviously re, especially given the sort of that December January when things quietened down a little bit, managed to to sort of get on top of things, plan it out, and we've got a proper strategy in place. Um, but it was the initial couple months that were really rocky, and I guess no business is perfect, you know. Even if you plan it out, things happen and change and all that sort of stuff. But yeah, I guess that's the only thing. I think obviously the the learning curve is quite sharp when you take on something new um, and something as large as as your own business. But if there's one thing I can say about all the guys I know that have transitioned from um, from real estate from the property industry into whether it's staying within the property industry and operating their own business or um, you know slightly further afield in a business operations role is we do a really really good job of planning nothing and flying flying by the seat <laughs> of our pants at the start which I guess is testament to the industry and the skill sets that it gives you but you know one of the guests that I that I had on the podcast Josh Telford he's probably the other end of the spectrum, a lot more methodical. Um, and he actually raised capital in, um, in his business. And at the same time, he shared, I guess, with us that he rent three books uh, by Grant Cardone around sales because he just couldn't, yeah. he didn't have the sales side of the business down. Whereas obviously um, for, for yourself and, you know, I know uh, my skill set probably leads towards the sales side of business as well. Um, you can sort of uh, fly by the seat of your pants for a little bit, but at some point you have to sort of land the plane, get down on the runway, get into the hangar, um, and all right, let's sit down and let's make sure that everything's, you know, give the plane a service, make sure that everything works before we take off again. Um, and I guess you probably summated that, you know, pretty well that that January, February period's given you, um, given you a good little period just to just set up the structures and the processes that you need now um, yeah. to catapult forward, obviously post-corona and everything that's happening now. Yeah, I think, I think though, it's interesting now that this has come along with corona because because we developed it and because I am that kind of person that is a little bit flying by the seat of your pants and, you know, a little bit more, um, I guess, less structured than perhaps you, you guess, Josh, is that when something like this comes along, we can adapt a little bit quicker. And, you know, we were small scale now, so it was easy for us to adapt very, very quickly. Um, but I'm sort of I'm sort of imagining, let's say another coronavirus or, or some sort of pandemic or some sort of issue is to hit 10 years down the line when this is a much bigger business and it's a lot harder to, to sort of adapt your business in a day like we did. Um, you know, I, th I think I'm not that kind of person in life to be that structured, let alone in my business, if that makes sense. And, and, and I don't think it's a reflection of my business per se. I think having the option or having the ability to improvise, adapt, or change very quickly as well is a skill in itself. Um, I, I don't know about other people that are really structured, but some of them get caught by, if it's not part of the plan, it's not going to happen. And sometimes that's a loss of an opportunity. That's a, you know, um, taking them down a path that perhaps isn't the right path. And, and, and I'm sure down the line later on, it's the best way to do it. But um, I think at the start as well, and, and given, I mean, the industry thing is a perfect example. If I just stuck to real estate, we would have missed a lot of other good opportunities that came past that we, we jumped on. And, and again, not every industry we worked in we were the best at, but there were some industries, like I said, with the car dealerships, we, we had no idea about car dealerships and a, and a dealership brought us on board. I still remember this. They brought us on board to do 500 calls in two days. So we got a team together, 500 calls over a Thursday and Friday for a sales event they had on, on the Saturday. 
And in those, um, in those sort of uh, 500 calls, so it was probably maybe, I think it was 230 conversations because obviously not everyone answers. Um, we booked 42 appointments over the, ne- over the weekend. You know, and for us, that was, we didn't know if that was good or not. And then we sort of turned around and we said, how do we go? And they went, wow, that was, <laughs> that was very good. Like, oh, wow, okay, now, now we've learned that perhaps this is a new industry that we can tap into more and develop um, you know, ourselves in this industry because it's an applicable skill over there as well. Um, but if we, if we sort of shuttered ourselves off and went, oh, car dealerships, well, that doesn't sound right to us, we would have lost that opportunity. We would have lost the ability to um, you know, try ourselves out there. Yeah, I think if I can tie together what both you and, and Josh touched on um, briefly, I guess you, both of you have spoken about pivoting um, and moving quickly within a startup. Um, Josh probably had the boundaries of what he was working within, sort of, you know, he pivoted within the circle and developed new features and, and new functionality that made his business, um, a, you know, better, faster um, and uh, I guess more appetizing for the market. Whereas with, with Mison and a client services business, the place you can pivot, I guess, is outwards. You can always go to new industries and do, and do new things. But I guess the common, uh, the common thread and one of the things that, that we summated in that episode was um, how important being able to pivot in, um, in businesses and really in life um, as well. You spoke a little bit, uh, just before about saying you're sort of not super structured in your life. I wanted to take a step away, I guess, away from business for a little bit and talk more about you um, as a human and sort of, I guess, with your own startup at such a young age, how, how your life looks and how it functions and sort of get the behind the scenes on, on John. Um, hmm. Do you have a morning routine that you work with? Yeah, I do. I, I have a relatively strict morning routine um, but again, this is, this is sort of a, str- a strict routine for my personality type. Um, I always wake up early morning. I love early mornings and I love doing a lot in my mornings. My, my days are sort of early heavy. I always do the most I can sort of in the mornings, which is a skill that I have to develop. I was always the kind of guy throughout high school, early uni that would, um, only, only sleep in and start my day later and I would be up till very late and I would sleep at one, two o'clock and, you know, wake up 11 a.m. Um, but uh, right now I would wake up. <coughs> I'm not at 5 a.m. club yet. I, I think I know you you do that, Jack, but I can't do 5 a.m. yet. I'm trying I'm to get up. there. I can't it's, get uh, past 5.30. Yeah. It kills I, me. Especially now, <laughs> I, I think it's I, – I did I did a few sort of really early mornings at the start to try and get myself on it, but I think – knowing my body, it's a bit too tough for me. And I, I just think given as well, like sort of the routine for the rest of my day, I, I eat dinner a little bit later and it, I sort of sometimes eat it towards seven, eight o'clock. So by the time I've eaten digested, realistically, if you want to wake up at five, you should be sleeping right after that. And and it was probably, it was too, too fine a line. So six o'clock's been good for me. Um, recently, I've been trying to actually wake up as naturally as possible. So I've been trying to um, I've been putting an alarm on a 6.30 as a sort of a backup, obviously, so I don't sleep through it. And I've been trying to get my body to wake up at 6 as naturally as possible or around about um, because I just always feel when I wake up naturally rather than through an alarm, I feel better. Um, some days I sleep straight to the alarm. Some days I've been waking up, you know, sort of that 6, 6.15-ish, which is, which is unreal. Um, first thing I do is I drink a coffee and I sit outside while drinking my coffee. Um, I sort of take my time. I sip on it. 
And especially recently and over summer, I've been trying to get some sun in the mornings. I can't remember where I read this, but I read somewhere. I think it was one of Tim Ferriss's other books, um, Tools of Titans. I think someone wrote in there that uh, there's some a huge health benefit to getting sunlight on your, I mean, to, to, to looking, to, to get sunlight on your skin and, and on your eyes early morning. Something, I remember reading somewhere about that and maybe it isn't, maybe it's again, just a bit of a superstition, but I always want to get some sun right in the morning. Um, and then sort of the first thing I would do after that is exercise. So uh, up until recently, I've been going to the gym um, up the road. Now I've had to improvise at home. Um, and even if it's not, you know, full strength workout, it's some some level of exercise just to sort of get the blood flowing and, and get my, my heart rate up. Um, I'm, I'm not big on sort of, uh, I guess, yoga. I know, I know you are, Jack. I haven't done much of that. I tried doing Wim Hof's uh, breathing for a little while as well. I love Wim um, Hof. And I, yeah, I've, I've done that every so often, but I haven't been consistent with it yet. So I definitely won't say it's part of my routine. The ice baths um, will change. But the ice bath section alone, the breathing, I guess the breathing element, um, is, is hyper important with Wim Hof, but anyone that's moving and, um, you know, in and out of the gym, whether it's running, yoga, gym, anything they're doing, um, firstly, the ice bath for recovery is incredible. Um, but once you start doing some of the more extreme stuff, I, I sat in an ice bath for 20 minutes at, at like six yes. degrees the other day. Um, but it just does incredible things. You actually get out of the bath feeling um, a lot better. That being said, mm. it's something that I don't do every day. Um, I probably do it about three times a week just because of the time it takes. Um, I don't have to set up. Yeah. yeah. I don't have a facility in my home. Like I can get maybe like 50 to a hundred ice cubes. Um, you actually have to go and buy about 20 kilos of ice to get your ice bath to a decently cold temperature. Mm. So it's sort of one of those things where you go down, you go to the, you know, the service station, you get your bags of ice, you come back, but incorporating that, for me, I guess less in a daily routine or a morning routine, but more looking at my week, if I can get sort of three of those in, um, it's something that I encourage everyone to do because I was probably a bit skeptical at the start and the breathing was a little bit, um, you know, it, the breathing definitely works for me. But once I started doing the ice baths, um, I get out of the bath and I feel happier. Um, strangely enough, I just feel like really smiley and really excited, <laughs> excited about life. Um, but the other thing, I definitely feel a lot sharper and a lot more productive uh, and just ready to go. It really just sort of, all, it feels like someone's just tightening the screws in your mind, um, which is very, mm. very interesting, the, the mind-body relationship. Um, yeah. I definitely, there is some research about vitamin D exposure um, and not only immunity, but a, a lot of other things um, as well. So I know where you're coming from with the sunlight in the morning, um, and I've yeah. definitely touched on that. But I really see. Simple- but it's also just a nice, a nice thing. I think, irrespective of that, I was, I just like uh, there's something about in the mornings as well. I like being alone. I don't like, I don't work out with anyone else. Um, I, if I do, I do those sessions in the afternoon. So there are times where you know I might have a friend that you know go, wants to work out. Um, and I'll do, I'll walk the dog in the morning instead. So I'll still do my exercise, but, um, I'll do my, say my, my, my strength workout in the afternoon with them. Um, but in the mornings I do, uh, maybe it's a little bit OCD. I don't like to be disturbed. I like being by myself. I try to, uh, uh, get off my phone as much as possible. So I'm not looking at any sort of news or anything like that, especially recently. Um, I haven't read the news in the morning since the coronavirus started because I hate starting my day with anything negative. Um, and I know you can't really avoid that sometimes, but there's something about, you know, just waking up, you know, having a coffee outside and then reading 
about all the tragedy that's obviously happening, it's just it, it sort of starts your day off almost on the on the wrong foot. So I like sort of putting myself in the right frame of mind and I don't meditate per se, but I do sort of sit there in the mornings and focus on my day and what my goal is and sort of make sure that what I'm going to do for the rest of the day fits in line with what I've set out for myself um, in a goal. Um, and that's sort of my my form of meditation, I guess. It's I sort of work out in the mornings. Yeah, what do I have to do today? Okay, I've got to do this, this, this. I've got an interview with Jack. Does that fit in line with what my goals are? You know, what am I going to do today that's going to be effective or, or help me? And sometimes it's, you know, it's not always something business productive. Sometimes it's, um, you know, say during summer, what am I doing today? Okay, I'm going to the beach. Does that fit in line with my goals? I guess it does. One of them is to, to be a bit happier and to, to you know, um, to relax a little bit more and to, to do more things outside. I don't know, whatever the goal may be. I sort of just make sure that everything I'm about to do lines up with what I've, um, you know, does it fit within my goals? Does it fit within John? I think it's really um, a couple of things that we've touched on sort of just to bring everything together. Um, A lot of people, you know, they are very strict with what exercise they do in the morning. Um, I've been running recently in the morning, which I love doing yoga as part of my evening routine, but um, that's sort of been something I've added in. But I think movement is just a really great word. If someone's looking to put together a, a morning routine, whether it's gym, whether it's walking the dog, whether it's having a, you know, whether it's doing yoga or as simple as just having a bit of a stretch, there's sort of like some five, 10 minute stretching routines that you can just work through um, and just get everything flowing. I think it's a really good, um, a really good point. Um, the news thing, I assume you probably got a little bit of that from the four hour work week as well, which I'm going to link the four hour work week in the show notes for everyone um, mm. because I would recommend everyone read that book, regardless of whether you want to be an employee, a CEO, an entrepreneur, there's some, there's some gold in there um, for everyone, but I Absolutely. don't, I've tuned out from, I did this book actually before I read the, the four hour work week, I realized what I was consuming on the news was just not relevant to my yeah. life whatsoever. And I couldn't control yeah. any of it. Um, so the, what I did was um, I got rid of TV. So um, I've got an Apple TV at home. I don't have any of the news application so i can still go on um and watch something on youtube or watch something on netflix Netflix or something something. like that but i can't just passively consume i guess garbage content so whether it's you know random news media whether it's um some rubbish tv show um you know love island or something like that which some people will be up in arms right now listening and saying (laughs) oh that's my escapism but i think that's you know each to their own but i don't like to tune into that when i when i'm going to sit down and watch something i want to be watching it for a reason um absolutely but it takes you from the core of this whole idea about tuning out from the media um is it takes you from a state of reactivity into being proactive with your day. So when you start the day, you you do, I meditate, you do your, I guess, reflection time and you sort of have your to-do list to work through. You step in and you're actually proactive working towards your goals. Whereas if you wake up and the first thing you do is read the news headlines, you're actually reacting to the information that's come into your body. Um, and I guess to take it a step further, I, I have no notifications on my phone anymore. So when I get out of the bed in the morning, I'm not reacting to an email that came in last night or a text that is a problem. Yeah, correct. So I'll, I'll take it. I'll take it a step further than that, Jack. There was a, there was a period over summer, especially uh, where I realized that first thing I did when I woke up in the morning was reach for my phone, not only check texts and emails. That was one thing. I wasn't too upset about that. It was scroll through Instagram. It was scroll through Facebook. 
And all of a sudden, I, the first thing I'm looking at in the morning is just random videos or you know pictures of cars or girls or whatever it may be. And I'm thinking, this isn't the right way to start my day. But I, I actually re- recognized that I couldn't stop myself. And it got to the point where I would be having a conversation with someone in person. And every time I would stop speaking, I would pull out my phone. As they were speaking, I'm still listening to them. But I would pull out my phone and I would start scrolling through Instagram. And it was a habit. And I wasn't even paying attention to what I was looking to uh, looking at on Instagram. I was paying attention to the person I was speaking to. But my habit was to pull out my phone and just play with it. And so I, I recognized that and I went, okay, that's, that's not a good habit. Um, you, I can't keep every time there was a, a, a break in my day, I would jump on my phone. Um, I went and bought myself a Nokia flip for $100. <laughs> and I diverted all my calls to that phone whenever I didn't need to be on my mobile and all my emails. So what would happen is if I would go into a meeting or if I would wake up in the morning over summer, for, it was probably a month and a half that I did this, I would have my Nokia flip on me. And that didn't have any apps, didn't have anything. All it could do was send and receive phone calls, texts, and emails. The text didn't even get diverted to it. Um, and the idea behind it was, first of all, I, I truly believe that there's nothing so important that someone would email or text you about. If anything's urgent, they'll give you a call. So that was covered with a phone. That was the purpose of having the Nokia was that should anyone really desperately need to get onto me, they could, they could still call and it would still get through. Um, and, and what it started to do was I, I, would, I would pull out the Nokia when I was bored or when I had that break or you know when I was sitting in the morning having my coffee, but there was nothing to scroll through. So I'd immediately close it and, and it would force me to be a little bit more aware um, about my surroundings and what I was doing. And it actually helped me sort of kick that bad habit, I guess, for lack of a better word. Actually, no, it's not a bad, lack of a better word. It was a bad habit and it helped me kick it. So now um, when I wake up in the mornings, I don't reach for my phone anymore. I don't need the Nokia. I still got it, but I don't need it anymore. Um, it was it was a weird sort of thing that I went through where, yeah, I had to I had to purposely, I guess similar to you with the Apple TV, you know, just remove any sort of bad situation from your life. I just, it was the best way for me to do it. And, and since then it's been incredible. I've, I've learned now that um, without realizing a lot of people would wake up in the morning and touch their phones and it's just the worst thing in the world. You don't need to, no, there's nothing that's that urgent and also that's not the first thing that needs to be going into your mind in the morning the first thing that needs to be going into your mind is you know positive things things to do with what your your goals are your day um, stuff that's going to give you energy stuff that's going to make you happy excited even if it is you know coronavirus right now and there's a lot of negativity and there's a lot of deaths in the world or whatever it may be uh, you know not not to say ignore it and not to say don't pay attention to it but in the mornings, you don't need that in your life. It's not the right time for it. Correct. There's there's a time if you do want to consume a limited about an amount of news media. Um, I think there's a time during the day that you can find it's a little bit more appropriate than first thing in the morning when you're sort of priming yourself for the day. Um, to skip back to the sort of reflection period that you go through, you talked about. Um, mapping towards your goals. Uh, one of the exercises that I've recently done is I actually sat down and I formalized a set of five core values that I want to live my life by. Um, it was one of those things that I probably knew that I'd needed to do for a while, but I'd never really, I'd never set aside the time to personally sit down and actually write down, okay, what values are really, really important to me? What does, you know, what does my life look like? And the whole purpose of those five core values 
um, was basically to give me a framework for decision-making. So when I had something come up, whether it was a client, a job offer, um, a, a new friendship, um, you know, my dietary choices, what I'm, you know, what and when I'm exercising, um, all of those things actually fit back into the core, my core value structure and allow me to make decisions quickly and effectively for what I want in life. And then beneath the core value sits a set, a set of goals. Um, and those goals Absolutely. are really formulated out of the core values. Um, I guess you sort of touched on that quickly. Is that a system that you sort of work with as well? We have some values and I guess high level visions that you're working towards and then you break it down practically under that. And that's what you're sort of, you're almost sitting there doing vis- visualization with that in the morning. Absolutely. It, and it's not just in the morning. That's I, 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 that's in my life. And the first stage of that was um, probably maybe three years ago, I'd say is I did what your parents will always say. And everyone always says, you're going to, you're going to eventually lose friends or you should stop. You know, there's a, there's a, I think it's a Greek saying, I don't know if it is, maybe, maybe I've just been told it is, but um show me your friends and I'll show you your future. I think Dan Pena says that a lot as well, doesn't he? Um, and uh, I, I went through this stage about three years ago where everything in my life was perfect. Oh, sorry, not perfect. Everything in my life was sort of fitting within my goals and, and it was on the right path, except my group of friends. Um, and I had a handful of guys and girls in each different group that I was friends with that I, I liked and they were good and they, you know, were, were, again, fitting in line with my values and I knew we're going to be the right people to be hanging around with. And then I'd say maybe close to 80% of them were just not good people for me to be hanging around. Not that they're not good people, but weren't right and didn't fit within my goals. And I did that thing about three years ago where I just, I sort of just made the decision that I'm going to just hang out with the people that I know are right for me. And, and in doing that as well, started developing relationships with people that were you know, uh, I guess, you know, developing mentor relationships and developing relationships with people that were much older than me or completely different to me that didn't go to the same school as me or that didn't go to the same uni as me, you know, that were outside of my circle, but would help either challenge me or help, um, uh, help me grow. I could help them grow or just fit within my, um, yeah, you're right. My, my sort of my goals and my, my um, uh, personality. I think that is, I, you know, I applaud you for doing it. It's something that's very, very difficult, particularly at a young age. Um, but one of the things, I've sort of been through that process as well. And one of the things that you can find a little bit sort of confronting when you've been within one friendship group for so long um, is once you start stepping out of that and, and meeting new people, um, they've got their own friendship groups and their own, uh, you know, their own kind of lives on. Um, I should say their lives going on in the background and it can be sort of hard to penetrate. But what I can really say now with, um, with people and, and connections and things like that. Um, and I can say that, you know, that recording this podcast has been a great thing for that as well is that people I reach out to that I don't speak to all the time and I engage with them and I say, Hey, um, we live really similar lives. I'd love to hear your story. I'd love to record it and share it with the world. Um, and, people just subscribe into that and they love it and they connect with you. And we have conversations like we're having today, John, which are really, I guess, really nuanced, really complex, um, but providing heaps of value to other people. Um, And these are the kind of conversations that I want to be having with my friends on a day-to-day basis. Um, Mm. So that was one of the things that has really started to click for me is surrounding myself with people that I might not be 
you know, I might not see them every single Saturday or every single, you know, Wednesday afternoon, but you know, you can pick up the phone. If you've got a problem with X, Y, or Z, you can call A, B, or C person and have a chat to them about, hey, man, I know you've been through this. What's going on with that? But, and you can really, you know, these people become a resource that you can lean on and in return, they'll lean on you. And it's about obviously mutually providing value. Um, but I think a lot of people initially are daunted about sort of cutting people off and making the jump because they think that there's no one else out there. I guess all I can yeah, say. But I think also at the same time, it's not, it's not cutting off per se. I think, you know, I'm, all these people that almost all of them, I'm still keep in touch with. I would still see out. I would still partying with them or whatever, but it's more understanding where they fit in your life. So my nightclub friends were the ones that were also, you know, I was also catching up with them in the middle of the day and getting advice about business from them. And, 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 you know, one or two of them might actually have been also really beneficial people, but the majority of them were just guys that I'd like to go out partying with. And it wasn't the right people to then be trying to get life advice off. So I think also understanding, you know, these are my friends that I'm going to go and party with. <laughs> you know, there's nothing wrong with that. These these guys are like having a good time with, but I'm not also going to then turn around and get business advice from them um, or, you know, life advice from them. I got to understand that not everyone, not, sorry, uh, not uh, your friend isn't always the person that's going to give you every bit of advice for everything um, and be relied on, on uh, upon for everything. Like you're saying with these people, you might reach out to them and for business or for, um, you know, your, your personal development, they might be the best people to speak to for, and they might give you some really valuable advice, but that doesn't mean they're the, your best friends and you're going to go and jump on and play Call of Duty with them. <laughs> you know, there's, there's, a, there's a fine line between that. There might be some friends that you'd rather go and have a coffee with and enjoy your time and, and talk, you know, rubbish with, but they're probably not the ones that you would ask about personal development or, or business about. There's a, there's a mix between the two. I think it's a very... Yeah, you've obviously, you've hit the nail on the head. Sometimes it's just about minimising time with people and and the amount of time you're spending with them. You also started, I guess, to go into the mentor kind of, um, the mentor kind of direction. Is there a few mentors that you've found throughout your journey that have provided you value? And I guess what, you know, absolutely. you don't have to name them by name, but I guess in what sense, who are they and, and what's the value that they've given to you and how has that shaped, I guess, your view of the world? Yeah, well, I mean, uh, I don't know if they, they can or w- want to be uh, mentioned. I, I think that's the, that's probably the first thing. But I, I don't think they'd be sort of, I guess, uh, secretive about it. I think the biggest one for me is my father um, and my grandfather to an extent as well, um, both of which um, have been, you know, truly instrumental in, in um, helping me sort of get to where I am as a person um, more than anything else. I think, um, look, I, I, I think they they don't necessarily have the advice for every specific situation, at least with the business, because they haven't run a business similar to this. So there's some people that I would turn to uh, more in terms of actually, let's say, you know, operations or for staff or for something else that, that have experience in running successful businesses that, that have those sorts of departments. Um, I would turn to them more. Um, but then, I know, for example, and, and I, I think if you have the option to do this with your father or your grandfather or whoever, mate, your mother, someone that you really know has your best interests at heart, always run something past them. Because even if sometimes the, the advice isn't, you know, 100%, they haven't given it to you um, for any other motive apart from for your best interest, if that makes sense. So I always look up to my to my dad because even if he goes, oh, maybe you should try this. And I know in the back of my mind that that's probably not the best option. 
I know that he has thought it's the best option and therefore I should at least consider it. And, and it does give me that sort of option to, to consider different things. I think, um, look, people that I used to work with, um, I still uh, regard very highly. Um, uh, Michael Armstrong, who, who I used to work for as well, is still a big mentor of mine now, even. I still keep in touch with him. And um, he not only helped me, like I mentioned earlier, sort of get that understanding of how an environment can change a little bit, but he was also very big into, I guess, the startup world and um, always what he, what sort of he taught me was, um, I think a lot of people are willing to give advice for no other reason than to just help people that actually want to take on their advice, if that makes sense. And I think one of the things I sort of learned um, early on was that if you're going to, if you're going to have a conversation with someone, that's one thing, but if you're going to ask their advice, so, Hey, Jack, what do you think? Be prepared to truly consider that advice and take it on board. There's a lot of people asking for advice all the time. Hey, what do you think of this? What do you think of that? when they don't actually intend to even consider what that person's going to give to them. And I think, you know, putting myself in a mentor's shoes, if I expected nothing, but um, if I expected nothing, you know, they weren't paying me or anything. And a young guy came up to me and said, Hey, I've seen what you've done with your business. I'd love to know a little bit more about it. And also I'm running a business. Can you give me some advice? If they're going to take on some of my advice and truly consider it and, you know, not everything, sometimes it's not always, the right choice or sometimes it's, I don't always have the answer, but to at least can really consider it, analyze it and consider if it's good for them. Um, I, I'd expect them to do that. If they're not going to do that, then, then forget about it. Um, and I, I think, look, half my clients are even, even my mentors to an extent. I think we were, we were quite open at the start when we started the business that it, that it was a startup and that was, it was in its infancy stage. And, uh, you know, I'd, I'd have a lot of heart to hearts with a lot of our clients and sort of say, look, this is what we're doing. Is there anything you'd want us to do a little bit better? How are you currently doing your business that, you know, I can get some tips from and how are you changing? And even in the past sort of fortnight as well, I've called all my clients, had a conversation with them. And a lot of the conversations have been around, hey, how have you, how have you adapted to what's happening with coronavirus? And, you know, that sounds like a, a sort of a, a very casual conversational topic. But in reality, I'm also trying to understand how different businesses are adapting to what's happening right now. So in, inadvertently, I'm, I'm, you know, sort of getting some advice from them as well. And, and they're all been, they've all been great. I love, I love all the clients that we're still currently working with as well. They're, they're all great. And, and, um, and <laughs> sorry, and all the ones that we had previously worked with as well, I shouldn't say just the ones that we are still working with. I love that you've had some excellent mentors. I love that family's really um, close and important for you as well. And you've got some, I guess, great guidance from almost ground zero in, in that sense um, from your family, I guess, to take a slightly different um, twist to that, just for perspective for, um, for audience. Um, and if your parents are someone that are, you know, your biggest supporters and are giving you that, uh, that super high quality advice, uh, that's excellent. And I think you should continue going to those people. Um, I've had, the blessing and the good fortune to speak to a few young people in probably the last three months that have um, sort of mentioned to me about their home environments not being um, not being the best. And I think it's important to realise that everyone's family has a different dynamic and has a, I guess, a different culture. Um, and parents in themselves can have their own issues and their own, you know, worlds going on, whether it's something as, you know, as, as big as a divorce or, you know, their business having financial issues or, you know, I've, I've seen a number of, a number of different 
I guess, different issues that can undermine um, the way that a certain person sees the world. If you've got a person within your family um, that your intuition is just telling you isn't quite the right fit, and I think this probably happens at a little bit of a later stage. I don't mean when you're 12 and 13 and <laughs> you you're want just an Xbox and they won't buy it because you. you're yeah. a little teenager and you're a pain in the ass. <laughs> Correct. But I mean when you're getting to that point and – you know, you're making a decision about whether it's university or about starting a business or going to work at a job and your parents have a super strong opinion on something. I think that people also have to have to have the self-awareness and the self-belief to know that sometimes even though your parents want the best for you, they still don't know you as well as you know you. Um, and if you're sitting there and you're looking at a, you know, at a consulting job at a big four um, you know, at a big four law firm or a big four accounting firm, something like that. And you know, you know, deep in your heart that that isn't for you. I think it's, there's definitely this little interplay there where we can love our families and be respectful of them. But there's also a lot of people out there that actually need to listen to their intuition and jump into what they're doing. Take the criticism and the negative feedback from their family for a short while, because there will be that you know, that element, oh, I don't think you made the right decision. I think you should have gone to uni. I think you should have done this or shouldn't have done that. Um, but I can tell you that, you know, with, with my family, everything that I've ever done after I've gone and done it, they've turned around and said, oh, we're really proud of you and we love that you've done that. It might not have been what we thought you were going to do, um, but, you know, we you know, we, we really love what you're doing and we wish you all, you know, all the best. You have 100% of our support. So I know that's come from... My perspective where I've walked the line with four or five or six different things that I've sort of dipped my toe in, oh, that's right for me, not quite right for me. Um, my family has, has always supported me underlying, but there's always been a little bit of tension, a little bit of criticism and things like that on the way through. Um, it's definitely not as bad as some other people and some other people's situations are, are far worse than mine or, or yours, John. Um, and obviously um, in those situations... Sometimes you just have to back yourself in. And I think that's where exercises, you know, you spoke about the goals and the visions, uh, my core values. I think they're things that, that young people, if I could go back to 18 and, and set out my core values, I think would have given me a lot more clarity um, around where I wanted to go and just being able to back myself in um, and just, I guess, really get the wheels in motion on, on the journey and know where I'm going and know where I'm working towards rather than being sort of constantly bombarded by opinions and, and advice from sort of every Tom, Dick and Harry along the way. Um, so yes. we started this initially talking about morning routines. Um, you wake up in the morning, um, natural wake up uh, without the alarm if possible. You grab your coffee, get some sun, a little bit of movement and exercise in there. Yep. Um, and then you sort of do your reflection period. Once you're in that mindset, ready to go for the day, what's the first thing you jump into? And then what does, well, I actually, guess, the, the, the sort of the work day look like exercise. for you? So I, I have my coffee, reflect, and then that's sort of when I hit the ground and I start I start running because as in sometimes, <laughs> sometimes uh, literally as well, you know, that's when I start my exercise. I come back, I'll eat, shower, put on some clothes, and I'm pretty much out the door after that. Um, and I'm, I'm in the office and I've started my day. Um once I get going in the mornings as well, I try to get into the office as early as possible, even if I'm not actually going to work. And I think, I don't know if this is just me and maybe Jack, you can tell me as well if it's like you as well. But when I get out of the house and go to the office in the morning early, even if I get there at 8am and I'm not planning on starting anything till 9, let's say, 
that's an hour of me being in an environment which I know is about work and I know is, you know, I don't need to get in my car and rush somewhere and be there right on time. I'm preparing myself mentally as well as oftentimes physically for the day. Um, you know, I'm getting my reports ready. I'm getting my computer ready, everything like that. Sometimes there's an update on the computer that I didn't realize or the internet's, you know, whatever, something's gone wrong. I'm there ready. I often as well, in fact, not often, I almost every day will play some music full blast in the morning when I get into the office as well. I really just get the energy pumping in the morning. Um, and so as the boys start arriving, there'll be some sort of music playing and, you know, I think part of it is to, to keep everyone's energy up and happy. But I think also part of it is just um, because it's supposed to be an environment where it's it's loud, we're all supposed to be on the phones. I've noticed that when people start their day and it's a very quiet morning and, you know, everyone starts speaking like this and there's no energy in it. So I try to get them excited and, and, and energized before they even um, start making calls. And also it just makes me happy. I just like hearing some music in the morning and, as I'm sort of preparing my day when I don't need to be on the phones to anyone, um, I, I like playing some music in the background. I might That's when I might turn on some videos or some news or something and sort of work out what's going on in the world if I really want to. But the past fortnight, I haven't. I've been getting all my news secondhand from, from, the, from the team. Um, people have been coming in and going, oh, have you heard about this and this and this? And if I think it's something, like you were saying, proactive to reactive, if I think it's something um, that's relevant for me to look up, I'll go and look it up. But most of the times it's, oh, have you heard there's, you know, another thousand cases? I know it's bad to say, but it's, it's like, it's, it's something that I don't want to be listening to every morning. I know it's a really bad situation. So it's time to just plug away and move on. Um, so, yeah. I think it's very, very, very interesting. The different, just the different little things you pick up. Um, I'm complete opposite. Um, I'm, I'm huge. I love self-starters. So people that can just get their own, um, I guess, work into their own rhythm and routine. So I love that you have that little routine when you get to the office, you set up the music and you get things going. I'm also a big fan of having music and having audio, um, playing in the office environment. So, um, I definitely agree with that. Um, I'm not a big, um, I guess a big fan of getting into the office, super early um, and sort of having downtime in the office, I definitely tear more towards um, getting straight into things. If I can work from home in the morning, that's like my ideal situation. Um, And I encourage that for anyone as well, obviously within reason. Um, And then when you're getting to the office or to your place of work, it's because you're there to do something. So you go in um, and look, there's always things you can't control, Um, you know, computer updates, internet's down, things like that. I sort of have to deal with those things on the run because I don't have that hour of preparation like you do. I like to think that I'm pretty good at dealing with those situations and just keeping things rolling. Um, but I just feel like at the end of the day, if I've been able to be my, if I've been my most productive, it's when there's not a single minute in there, I guess that's, that's stagnant. Um, there's a purpose for everything. So even, even to the extent of if I say, Hey, I'm just going to take an hour or two hours, to just chill out and, you know, and read or, um, or listen to a podcast or whatever it is. Um, actually having purpose to do that for those two hours, um, it can, yeah. at the end of the day, I don't feel like that time was wasted. Um, so I guess we're a little bit different in that, but probably the end goal is, is still productivity. Um, once you're in the office, the boys are in there, everything's up and running. I guess what, what do things sort of look like 
um, from you know, call it nine a.m. Yeah, so till, uh, I mean, there's always throughout the day going to be a little bit of um, you know, uh, I guess operations and managing the staff because I'm still doing a lot of that sort of stuff. There might be a few questions that come up, or there might be an error or something like that. So throughout the day, that sort of scattered along, and that's something eventually I'm going to get someone on board to sort of handle all that sort of stuff because. There's days where it might be just one or two little problems, but there's days where it's, you know, it's full damage control and we're dealing with problems all day. And then obviously that's a day that detracts me away from, say, generating business or speaking to people or developing relationships or whatever it may be. Um, my mornings is generally, or, or I guess up until sort of midday, is generally the time that I get all my, um, my preparation and, and sort of um, any accounting operations set up for the rest of the day, emails, all that sort of stuff done. Um, and generally the afternoon, so after I eat some lunch, which is, you know, 12, 1 o'clock-ish, is generally when I jump on the phones myself. And so I'll spend the afternoon either trying to chase new business, following up business, or I guess a mix of both. Um, generally that will go till, say, 3, 4 o'clock. I don't really call people after that unless – you know, they've told me to call them back at that time or if it's a, you know, if it's a client that's finishing their day, you know, you know, in real estate, a lot of these people are, um, you know, doing opens throughout the day and sometimes the best time to catch them is six, seven o'clock when they're on their way home. Um, after that time, I'll generally start setting up for the next day. And that again is probably, I mean, an hour, maybe two hours worth of work, but I extend that as well. So again, this is maybe where you and I differ, Jack. I like sitting in the office again at the end of the day and once everything's sort of quieted down, so I've had this sort of big, busy day, I'll put on a music again and maybe watch, you know, a video again and slowly start writing up any reports that I need to do, preparing for the next day, setting everything up because I love having everything set up and out of my mind before I come in the next day. And so oftentimes I'll, I'll head home at around seven o'clock, even though realistically the past two hours of my day were a lot less, um, you know, full on and strenuous than, you know, from eight till, till 6 PM. Um, so that's generally my day. Um, and up until recently as well, there was a lot of appointments thrown in there now, but I guess, you know, maybe this is a good sign as well. I've been able to get through a lot more appointments over zoom rather than wasting time driving from one office to another meeting clients. I think zoom productivity is going to be yeah. an interesting byproduct of everything that's going on at the moment. Um, I think it'll become probably a way that we do a lot of initial meetings with clients definitely in the future. Um, in in my business, I think it'll become a real strength. And I've been using FaceTime for probably uh, probably nine months now with my clients. Um, so I'm very comfortable with, with the video medium um, and I think it works really well. But it just it's a little productivity hack that I think is going to become pretty much nationwide, business-wide everywhere uh, with everything that's happening at the moment. So... Um, interesting that you touched on that as well um once you've gotten through i guess your whole day um you come home now we probably differ a little bit i've really worked out that i'm either working or i'm not um and that also can be interesting so i can be doing work during the day prospecting putting together presentations a whole heap of whole heap of different things um and when i get home I don't want to be at work and not being at work um, involves me doing, you know, a specific set of, of items. Um, there's also elements in there that I guess some people would think are work, but I don't consider them work. So, um, you know, this evening I'll be, uh, I'll be editing this recording that we're putting together right now. 
um, which for me um, isn't work. It's something I enjoy doing, but it obviously, you know, to some people is work. Um, so I guess you sort of spoke around that transition around getting into the next day. Um, for me, really, it's probably my yoga practice becomes the transition out of the day. So somewhere between 6 to 7 to 8 p.m., depending on whatever time the class is. Um, at the moment, everything's happening from home. But, um, you know, I'll move into that. And then that process leads into then eating after that um, and then an evening routine that prepares me um, for my optimum, you know, level of sleep. Um, do you have an evening routine you work with, I guess, more around um, the you know, your bedtime or there might be a little bit of escapism in there watching a movie, something yeah, like that. Yeah, I mean, um, I'm, I've how, probably how got a much less look like strict uh, evening routine than I do a morning routine and a daytime routine. I think I'm, I'm actually somewhat similar to you. Once I, once I hopefully get everything out and done, you know, assuming no new emails come in after 7 p.m., assuming no new task comes to mind, I've set it up for the next day. Um, I, I learned a long time ago that if you can write, even if like, you know, and I still do, if I have a thought before bed, I'll write it down because when you sleep on things that you know you need to do, I feel like I don't get as good as sleep. I try to get everything out of my mind. So the only thing <laughs> I need to do is just relax and fall asleep. It's I know. That... Yeah, I've read that somewhere. Yeah, There's yeah. science behind I know, that. A lot of things There's that actually I, I, science do, behind I know that. Yeah, I've read yeah. somewhere or I've been taught um, by something. I just can't remember where I learned it. Um, but I remember someone telling me that. And, and so, yeah, I, I – um, uh, it used to be a notepad, but now I'll just open up my laptop quickly because I've got it all there. Or my favorite is just saying, you know, Hey Siri. And, and it all sort of does it itself. And I had to sort of mumble my words there in case my phone went off, but um, you sort of, you say that and, and uh, call Siri and just tell them, Hey, remind me tomorrow to, you know, call Jack at 10 PM um, and you fall asleep. Now I know that Siri's going to remind me. I don't need to worry about it. Um, you know, you say that in front of a, one of our parents, they're going to freak out and go, oh, you know, the generation of technology, you don't need to remember anything, but it's the beauty of it as well. So that's, that's assuming I get all that done and I don't have anything I need to remember. Once I get home, I do try to do a little bit of just relaxing and, and that it, uh, oftentimes it's not exercise cause I've done it in the mornings. Oftentimes it's dinner. It's maybe a movie. I don't really like watching movies during the week because you have to commit for like two hours and sometimes I don't have that time or I want to do something else. So generally it's a TV show. Recently it's been billions that I've seen now for the third time and I'm just rewatching it. Yeah. I'm just, this is the third time. Love Bobby. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's some epic great writing. And, and now really, really um, good screenplay. You know, again, it's, I don't know if it's really uh, tying into my, my life and everything, but I guess inadvertently I'm watching shows that um, uh, are going to influence my life. So billions um, and, and sort of the other shows that I watch all, I can, I can drag something out of them into my life. And I don't mean, I don't mean what Bobby Axelrod does. That's not, not a good thing, but I'm saying, you know, it's about the corporate environment. It's about that sort of world. It's about, I guess, business and titans of business and that sort of stuff excites me so that when I get into the office the next day, I might've seen something cool on the show. And even though it's not real life and it's not going to be brought into my, into my real life, it excites me for the next day. And I don't know, you know, I, 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 I used to be a lot more into fantasy reading. So all my reading now is about self-development, you know, four-hour work week or anything, you know, Simon Sinek or something like that. But it used to be Harry Potter's. It used to be all that sort of stuff. But I don't do that anymore. I think my attention span has significantly reduced. So um, even movies, I'll, I'll only really watch them on the weekends when I have the time for them. Um, uh, you know, just... Uh, I guess spending that time as well to be on Facebook and Instagram, that's probably the time that I spend the most on it. 
socializing with friends. Uh, now, given what's happening, there's a lot more sort of online uh, meeting places. You know, there was there was actually quite a, something quite creative the other day. Someone put together a, um, a Cards Against Humanity online. And so it was, I think, Saturday night or Sunday night. Obviously, everyone's in isolation. And we sort of all got together and um, jumped on uh, a FaceTime call. And there was about six of us all playing a card game online, um, which I thought was quite creative. So, you know, depending on, on what, the, what what's happening that night, um, if it was outside of uh, quarantine times, I'd also probably use that time to, to go out and, and maybe grab a drink with a mate or some dinner or something like that. That's that's generally the time that I would do that. But yeah, it's it's definitely switch off time after that time. And if people, I feel like if people, I know you're big on this. I feel like if people don't also take care of themselves and just sort of try to do, you know, 160 hours a week of just work, you're going to burn out and you're going to miss things in life. And sometimes, you know, four hour work with sort of, sort of talks about this as well. What, what are we doing this for? You know, it's all well and good to, to put yourself through the hard yards now. But if you're not going to, enjoy your life uh, for 10 years, you're going to start to resent what you've done um, and get to the end of it and sort of go, I wish I, I wish I did this. I wish I spent time with these people. I wish I took the time to watch a movie and enjoyed myself a little bit along the way. I think that there's a lot of, um, of, a lot of the shift, I guess, in our society in the last few years has been around moving yeah. from the hustle culture into probably more of the wellness culture. Um, and I think that's definitely going to be a positive. Like, we'll see the benefits of that play out over the next over the next 10 years. But I think there's definitely a shift away from – I just want people to work smart and not hard. Like, I'd rather you – you look at some of the statistics on productivity in offices and it's like – um, out of an eight-hour day, mm. people work four and a half hours the rest of the time. They're basically just pretending to be at work, whether it's like filing emails or they're on social media or whatever. Um, I'd honestly, you know, I'd honestly rather people come in um, absolutely pumped and motivated to do the work that they're going to do and yeah. smash it out and get it done and then get out of the office and be living their life. Um and, and, you know, be super productive when they need to be productive. But when you're not, you have to unwind. You have to be doing things you enjoy. Um, I think that business can definitely be a hobby, um, but it's also not a good hobby Absolutely. at some times. It can be an unhealthy hobby, let's put it that way, at some times for some people. And I think it's important to try and cultivate and curate um, some habits, routines, structures that transition you out of, out of business, which you can be so passionate about and then back into, you know, your other hobbies and, and things that you have on the side that just give you a little bit of lighthearted fun. Yeah. Um, so I'm glad that you sort of found, you know, finding a little bit of a balance and, and things sort of shift. You know, I was really into business books. I still am really into business books, but one thing that I've added in relatively recently to my routine is I read 30 minutes of fiction um, before I go to sleep, go. which yeah, I yeah. feel like really boosts my creativity and imagination because it's something that I used to do a lot of. And then all of a sudden I was reading all these biographies and all of these business books. And, you know, I still will sit down. Often what I do is at nine o'clock, I read 30 minutes of a business book and then follow it with 30 sure, minutes sure. of fiction because I still want to read the business book. But then it's about transitioning out. Um, it means that I get mm. through novels really, really slowly because you just don't read a whole heap of it. But it's just a simple little thing that I found that I found worked. And I think it's, something that these routines um i like to call them my morning ritual 
and my evening ritual because a ritual is a routine with a purpose. And the purpose is about transitioning from sleep into the day and into productivity um, and then from productivity Absolutely. back into a state of rest and, and rejuvenation um, and making sure that you're sort of doing things for a reason. And escapism can be a reason you need to get out, sort of get out of your own head sometimes and just some people it might be computer games. It might be, uh, you know, sitting down, two-hour movie, um, and just not thinking about anything else, uh, whereas some people obviously prefer a little bit more active version of escapism, which can be social media and, and communicating, speaking on the phone, dinner but, with a mate. Um, so I think yeah, but I think what you just said really, is really actually very true really 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 as well. Because it's all well and good to read business books and it's all well and good to study business and do all that, but um, business is about creativity as well because there's there's literally no two businesses that are the same. If they're exactly the same, obviously that's – I mean, it's not possible – even computer companies, Microsoft, Apple, they're different, but they're the same. Um, I think the, the most successful businesses have either tried to do something new or try to uh, alter something or, or I guess offered it at a cheaper price. But um, ultimately, with that creativity, they're not going to be able to adapt it to their circumstance, their situation. And I, I guess to an extent, I use what I watch and anything sort of outside of business to influence some of my decisions as well and, and perhaps give me some inspiration. And as you were talking, I just thought because, you know, I, I remember this scene in Billions where he's trying to get the attention of someone and he buys him dinner. He gets, he gets uh, wags to buy, so which is his, his assistant to buy someone dinner to get his attention. Now, that's something I'd seen. I've, I've been watching Billions since it came out. So two years ago, what is it? Three, five years ago now, actually. Um, Season five. Yeah, yeah. So Where, what, season three, season four, it, something whatever, like that. Yeah. You, know, you like it. It's a show. But I remember in realist, when I was working in real estate, um, I was trying to get someone's attention. So I did the same thing. Now, is that influenced by the show? Probably. Or did it maybe just give me the idea to be a little bit creative, think outside the box um, in order to get what I wanted to, you know, to, to achieve what I wanted to achieve. So um, I think being creative as well, watching movies, whatever. It doesn't need to be direct. You know, you watch an action movie. It doesn't mean you need to go and fight someone. But there could be something in it that inspires you or changes your mind about something or it could open up your – documentaries, for example, can just give you a, a new understanding as to what's going on with something new. And it could be a wildlife documentary, but it still gives you some sort of um, insight into the world and how things work and how nature works. And perhaps that can influence your, your business and your life. Completely agree with you there. Um, we've obviously touched on books a few times um, throughout this episode. I guess for our work week came up pretty early. Um, what's the I best book about, you've read? I don't know about recently? best. I think um, I think yeah, I do like the uh, four hour work week, but I did read that a long, long time ago. Um, Chris Foss's uh, book on negotiation, which the name is slipping my mind. Um, yeah, how to split the difference. That's it. Yeah, yeah. How um, to split that one, the middle. Again, like read that, it a little while ago, but um, yeah. it was quite. In fact, if you want to get into sales, that's probably the book that I would start with before anything else. Because I'm big on understanding mentality before you understand the scripts. Um, I'm currently reading What It Takes by Stephen Schwartzman. Um, and I love books like that because it's more a biography than it is a business book like Four Hour Work Week or Tools of Titans, where it's. They're more instruction books almost, if that makes sense, um, with a few anecdotes in it. 
Um, whereas uh, what it takes is is a story, um, and I, I always like stories because it's easier to I, I guess remember the lesson out of them. Mm. Uh, one of the best books I've read recently um, is Leadership by Rudy Giuliani, who was the mayor of New York City um, during nine eleven, uh, and he basically penned this whole book about leadership, and he I think he's, he runs through like eight principles in the book, um, but he then goes, coincidentally, before I was about to publish this book, um, 9-11 happened. So I went back and rewrote it and I show you through the events of 9-11 how I applied my eight, lead, um, my eight principles right. of leadership to the situation and what the outcome was. Um, so, you know, interplay combined. You know, interplay is the, um, I guess, the, you know, the practical and the, the lesson um, in with the story and the narrative. And obviously 9-11 being such a polarising event um, in, in yeah. modern history means it has a lot, a lot of gravitas. So, uh, you know, I know exactly where you're, where you're coming from um, as far as that, that, that extra level of storytelling sure. on top of the practical advice can be, um, can be nice. Um, what are you curious about currently? I guess this can be a very, um, you can interpret this how you like. It can be business, it can be um, health, I'm, fitness. Currently, currently I'm really, really curious as to, um, and I've been doing a little bit of research and reading into how businesses or business people have um, succeeded in um, times that are similar to right now, you know, GFC, depressions, recessions, and wars. Um, how, have, how have businesses um, managed to capitalize on that? You know, you always hear stories about what is it, you know, buy low, sell high and all that. But in, in reality, how do, how do these big businesses or how do these people um, take advantage of it? How early did they jump on it? Um, how did businesses adapt that were already established? You know, a lot of these, a lot of businesses, I think I saw somewhere like um, Uber was started during the GFC. Um, you know, is it, was it an idea before the GFC and they started it during the GFC or was it, started then and you know it became successful after you know i'm, I'm sort of really curious to, to to get an understanding as to um i guess for for lack of better words how to um how to succeed in really really tough times um it's all well and good in good times to succeed but how how do people really take advantage of these times? that's probably what i'm most curious about i love that and i would obviously love to have you back on um, post Corona and we can sort of talk about everything that you've learned in your research. And, and I guess obviously look through in a little bit like what Rudy Giuliani's done. Mm. We can maybe do a play by play on, on how you've put those lessons into place in, in Mison over the, over, I guess the emerging period that will be 2020 and then into 21 and 22, which I think we're probably expecting to be pretty, um, pretty big Absolutely. years in the Australian economy with all the stimulus happening. Um, uh, do you have any strange habits uh, or I guess vices? To an extent, I do, but um, the, the morning routine, I think, for me, is a little bit like where I was saying. I don't want to be bothered in the morning. I, I think it's a bit of a, a weird habit. The one with my phone was a habit that I kicked that was definitely a really, really um, bad habit. Um, but I think the one that's a, a strange habit, not necessarily a bad one, um, is that if I'm feeling a bit down or a little bit you know, low on energy, um, even though currently at, at um, Messon, we don't wear suits or even shirts half the time. We're, we're quite casual. It's sort of a smart, casual sort of outfit um, that we have going on. I will put on my best suit, tie, pocket square, everything, and go to the office like that. And no one is going to see me except my own employees. Um, but it makes me feel 
energized and powerful and happy and you know, I, I understand how women feel when they put on makeup. <laughs> you know, it's uh, it's sort of um, a weird thing that I do every so often. I think the last time I did it was actually last Monday when all this news sort of broke out about a potential lockdown. Um, it was all really negative and everyone's on the phone to me and about three of my employees called me and were worrying that they wouldn't have work and all that sort of stuff. So um, I knew Monday was going to be a big day and I just put on a really, I put on a blue pinstripe suit, nice tie, walked into the office and, and sort of, you know, felt the power coming through me, um, which again is is just a placebo, but um, it's it. Yeah, I guess it's a weird habit that I have. If you could step into my shoes, what question would you ask that I have not? Um, I think I think a question I'd be curious about, and I, I ask everyone that's the same age as us, um, starting businesses and doing and all that is um, is why why would you want to do that? Because I think. Um, there's plenty of other good options and at least uh, at an early age to go through this much sort of stress and pressure and heartache and arguably a lot of times loss of income. You know, I was making a lot more um, in 2018 working at a real estate agency than I was in 2019 trying to start a business. So I think the question would probably be why, um, you know, someone would want to do it. And I've, I've always asked people why, because everyone's got a different reason. Everyone's, you know, I guess, you know, the, the typical thing, what's your why? Why are you doing it? It's not so much in that sense. I don't really need to know the, the intricacies of it, but it's more why why aren't you just choosing the easier option? Why do you need to put yourself through this um, this difficulty? Is it through necessity or is it through some sort of drive to succeed and, and do more? Um, and I guess asking myself the question, the answer for me would, would probably be coming back to my, um, my, again, my father and my grandfather who, um, always sort of instilled in me, whether it was consciously or subconsciously, that you know you, you do the hard yards now to reap the rewards later on. So I've always sort of been under the impression, and again, I don't even think they said it directly. So it possibly could have even even been subconsciously, but I know they did the same sort of thing. So I've probably stepped in their footsteps. Of um, my grandfather's a great example. You know, migrant to Australia, worked at a post office. He didn't even you know nothing glamorous. Saved up money, bought property did the typical Greek thing of retiring at 45 and, um, you know, enjoyed his life. Uh, arguably in my head a little bit too late, 45 is a, a late age, but you know, the, the idea is, is the same nonetheless, you know, if, in my head, if I can um, set myself up and develop, um, uh, you know, not only a business, but develop an understanding of business um, to be able to, to do it wherever I am, with whatever I have at my fingertips, you know, generate an income out of anything I can, I can touch, for example, then that's a invaluable skill that a lot of people struggle to develop. And, and that's set up for, for life. And I can um, sort of reap the rewards later on in life rather than working a, a job at a company that I'm not really that happy about um, just doing it because I, I was sort of forced to by my parents and my uni degree led me there making okay money. And then, chasing my dreams when I'm 35, 40, it's, it's not really what I wanted to do. I'd rather risk it now. I've got no family, no kids, no real, you know, massive debts apart from some in the business that, um, you know, uh, there's no one really relying on me. This is, it's, it's me relying on me. It's future John relying on, on young John. That's really what it is. 
I think it's a very interesting question. Um, and I love, I love sort of what you touched on. Um, I wish you all the best with retiring before 45. <laughs> um, I hope that goes really, no, really well No, different, but different. You. See, that's the thing. The difference is that, you know, with them, for example, they didn't have the option of being able to do this, this sort of work environment that we have, that we're talking about now when we were talking about all episode. Um, I don't ever see myself stopping work. I just don't see myself, you know, working 80 hours a week, uh, you know, making calls for the rest of my life. I, I, I want work to develop uh, and, and change eventually from, um, being in the business to being on the business to being on several businesses um, and really being an entrepreneur in that sense of, of getting to an understanding of how to put the right people in place and then forever be, whether it's investing in businesses or property or whatever it may be, um, but being able to do that um, while enjoying life. Back then, obviously, it was a little bit different. My grandfather had to work overtime and every day and all that sort of stuff and Obviously, you don't want to do that for the rest of your life. You don't want to work at a post office for the rest of your life. Um, so that's that's sort of the difference. I don't, I don't know if I'll retire at 45, but um, uh, I definitely hope that I can sort of start enjoying my life a, a lot earlier than that. I think that's a great, uh, a great clarification. Um, and I guess secondly, to speak to the question that, that you posed, I guess for mm. myself, I've always... Um, I've probably, you know, I've struggled with this question at times. One thing that has been a continuing theme I've realized as I've gone into things is I'm actually very, I can be very um, externally motivated by things as well. So often, um, you know, when I think about a great, a great business, I think about employees getting as much out of that business as I do about providing people a great place to work. Um, and on the flip side, um, again, you know, being able to provide and incredible provide and enjoy an incredible lifestyle uh, with my family, friends, and and loved ones, um, and you know be able to live a life, be able to live a really really incredible life, not just for me but for for other people, and be the person that can you know really provide that lifestyle for someone else. Absolutely, um, I think that's really what that excites me about. That's what excites me about business um, that you don't get out of anything else. You know, you go and you work, you go and you work at a post office, you go work at PricewaterhouseCoopers, you go work at, at Minter Ellison. Um, some of those are very, very prestigious jobs, um, but they inevitably come with, you know, you have to give that company a pound of flesh um, to get to a position where you can generate significant, you know, significant wealth um, to be able to start doing the things you want to do. Um, business is obviously, you know, a little bit of an X factor in the sense that people can struggle for many, many years and really not make an impact. Um, but at the same time, if you have a really great idea and you're a good operator, um, you can generate an, you know, an insane amount of, um, you know, of opportunities more than, you know, look past financial wealth, just the opportunities, the people you meet, the places you get to travel, um, the lifestyle you can live, um, you know, all of those things are offered to you by business and, and entrepreneurship. So I guess that's what's really, um, that's what's really drawn me in the direction and become part of my why is looking at the people around me and going, geez, it'd be really cool if I could, um, if I could help in some way those people get closer to to what they want. Um, where can, um, where can our listeners find you online if they want to, um, you know, get in touch with, with Mison or um, yourself personally and, and have a chat about business a bit further. I yeah, guess. absolutely. Well, on, uh, you're more than welcome to, to connect with me on LinkedIn. So John Angelopoulos, but um, if you want to get in touch with, I'm more than happy to have a chat, um, not only about me and what we're doing, but um, we're currently, we're, we're, we're even just helping businesses out with, um, 
I guess their own scripts as well. So that's sort of something that we thought we could give back to, to people that are struggling right now that, you know, don't want to necessarily pay for a, a team to do it for them. They can't pay for their team to do it for them, but they definitely need these calls done. Um, we're happy to, to have a chat and, you know, go over your own script and your own um, sort of, uh, I guess, how you're making your phone calls and, and give our two cents and see if we can give you one or two tips that uh, can immediately help, uh, I guess, help you during this time and the phone calls that you're making. Um, otherwise, uh, jump on our website, www.messonagency.com.au um, and there's a contact form there or we've got all our information there online. So reach out in any way possible as well. Um, more than happy to, to sort of speak with anyone about this. And obviously, um, you know, if, if there's something that you think uh, you can help me with as well, other way around doesn't need to be me helping you if you think you can help me with something i'm happy to hear as well um always always keen to learn well incredible thank you for your time today john and it's been um it's been a real pleasure to hear about your story and everything that you've got going on um look forward to speaking again shortly um post everything that's going on in the world and really see how you and the business have have come out the other side and are doing great things um thank you again for your time Um, And I look forward to speaking with you soon. Thanks, Jack. Thanks for having me. Thank you for tuning in to Radio by Jack Roberts. If you would like to keep up to date with our high-performance guests, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can find me online at jackroberts8 on Instagram and Jack Roberts on LinkedIn.